0: Good evening, boys and ghouls, and welcome to this bone chilling and absolutely terrifying episode of Slime Time Side Quest. Be warned, dear listeners, that what awaits you beyond this opening may terrify you to your very core. But if you are feeling brave, then please make yourself comfortable and stick around. After all, What's the Halloween season without a few frights? <laughs> everyone and
1: welcome to the sixth episode of slime time side quest an official dragon's den podcast this is platy m3
0: and this is yangus the legendary bandit tonight in honor of halloween we're going to talk about a horde of horror games
1: oh i love talking about horrible games
0: no no no, no i said horror games not horrible games
1: uh, yeah whatever horror games games that scare the shit out of you um honestly we I thought you wouldn't hear too much about me today, but uh, talking before the show, I, I have got a couple games to talk about. So maybe you will hear a little bit more than I had initially planned. Um, it really, I was just thinking about talking about the dark worlds or uh, basically all the different versions of hell in Dragon Quest games, uh, of which Dragon Quest VIII was by far the scariest.
0: Dragon Quest VIII. Oh, oh, you mean that black and white world that Rathorn was from?
1: No. You know, the hell that they cut out of the mobile and the 3DS versions, it was only available on the PS2 one. Mm, uh,
0: you've, you've completely lost me. What exactly are you talking about?
1: It, it was on the second disc. You had to flip discs on the PS2 version. I mean, it was horrific. It scared the shit out of me. What second disc? So it was right there in the case. I mean, it came with the first D- Dragon Quest Eight
0: disc. Um. Plady, that wasn't the dark world that was the demo for Final Fantasy 12 that came with the game
1: Oh wow well, you know, yeah that game was pretty horrific actually um, and actually I've got a Halloween story about how horrific it was I remember and this goes back quite a while but I, I specifically remember when I bitch about this game on the den and talk about how it plays itself the night that um, I was playing on the TV in the living room Final Fantasy 12 the uh, it was Halloween. And I must have got up 50, 60, 70 times. I remember the neighborhood I lived in back then. And there was kids at the door every five minutes for hours and hours. And kept getting up, going to the door, chit-chatting with neighbors and people and whatever and coming back. And, I mean, I must have gained five, six, seven, eight levels that night. It was just... It kept playing itself while I went and answered the door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I laugh, but that does sound like a very uh, scary experience. But, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't think you'd go with a 14-year-old Final Fantasy twelve story for your opening joke. I mean... There's plenty of other horror that just happened yesterday in the world of gaming, for crying out loud. Ooh,
1: really? Yesterday?
0: What happened? <sighs> Something we all feared would never happen. Something that shook an entire community to its core. One that spread not only terror, but so much salt you could cover the globe with it. <sighs> the inclusion of Minecraft Steve and other Minecraft content in Super Smash Brothers Ultimates is terrible!
1: Mm, i don't know if that really sounds that bad i mean my kids love minecraft and i've completely lied to them that it's not coming out till saturday um they're gonna be happy about that it's just it's just too shocking to
0: think about the horror the the block-shaped dead-eyed horror oh i can't take it (laughs) Kept me up all night last night i was just so scared
1: Oh boy! So for any of you that have uh, stuck with us through uh, our opening here, uh, yeah, as you've heard, we're gonna be talking about some games that uh, got some blood and gore, horror, jump scares, whatever, just funny stuff too, ghostbussy kind of stuff. Um, we've got with us tonight. We've brought back Evan. How you doing? Three, three in a row. Is this a uh, is this is a record? Uh, it very well maybe. You've done side quests. The main quest and back for side quest again. So uh, glad to have you back. And uh, we've got Mr. Sean Pendergast. Pendy, welcome back. I mean, you've been doing this for a year now.
2: I mean, hello. How's it going?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you've heard all of our voices multiple times before. Um, we'll jump right in. And, uh, Pendy, I was, made you the last to introduce, but I'm going to let you take the first game. Go ahead and, uh, talk about one of the scary games that, uh, you'd like to talk about.
2: Sure. So I'm going to go pretty old school with this first one. Um, it wasn't on purpose, but, uh, coincidentally, the examples I have tonight all fall into the survival horror realm of video games. But the first one I'm talking about is going to be Haunted House. And that was a game that was for the Atari 2600, published in 1982. It's actually one of the first ever survival horror video games. Or at least that's what, Wikip- <clears throat> that's what Wikipedia told me. But uh, <laughs> anyways, you play, you play as a person in a pitch black house, represented as floating as a floating pair of eyes. Think like The Simpsons when they did any kind of scene where they turned out the lights. You just see those... Eyes kind of floating there, but uh, in the game, for some reason, you're trying to collect three per- three pieces of this urn and then escape the house. That's how you win a level. That's how you win the game. They've got various. It's got various scary creatures. There's a ghost, a spider, and a bat, which would all try and get you while you're running around. When you encountered one of these creatures, the lights would flicker and the wind would howl. Uh, there was a feature where you would light a match to try and kind of see where different pieces are, otherwise it'd just be pitch black and you can just see the walls. Uh, But it was pretty effective for a simple Atari game. Um, So my my recommendation is if you ever play this game, play it in the dark. I dare you. So uh, (laughs) anyone else ever play this game? (laughs) I haven't, but it's kind of reminding me just sort of how you would play that old
0: adventure game where you just have to kind of go around, collect the keys, try and get to the end of the game. Kind of reminds me of that almost.
2: Yeah, no, i just I'd... collecting trying to make sure you don't get uh, caught by the different creatures and stuff, yeah.
1: I did play quite a bit Atari. I, I do remember when I got one, I came with like 40 discs. Of course, this was right around uh, NES era. I was always a console behind. <laughs> but no, I would have not heard of this one.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty interesting, especially back in the day. Yeah, I was I was uh, so that was 1982 when it came out. So I was I was 2 when this first came out. Obviously I didn't play it when I was 2. I played it much later. Uh but uh, yeah, that was uh it's an old game, but it's, it's pretty good for what it tries to do.
1: Have you ever tried it uh recently? on an emulator or something
2: no i tried it probably the last time i i fooled around this game was maybe five years ago or so when i dug out my old atari which i still have and played some of the games so it's pretty it's pretty goofy like it, and it's it's funny like it has all different sound effects you hit a wall it, it you hear the the wall bouncing and you have little footsteps as you go but like i said it's just like a little pair of pair of uh, googly eyes that are running around as you progress through the <laughs> <level>. that's <laughs> funny uh, <laughs> Uh, no. no,
3: it's no Custer's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not oh, quite clearly there. the
0: greatest Atari game.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, boy. I'll have to see if I can get some. Uh, uh, by now, people will already know it if I found it. Uh, try to find some sound effects or something from that game and put it in as you begin talking there. That sounds pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I love was... the 1982 sound effects.
2: Uh, yeah especially the the little the the sound of the wind howling whenever you uh, run into one of the creatures that was always that was nice and it would, would you hear like little thunder and like the lights would flicker and try to try to scare you make it scary
1: <laughs> i feel like half the atari games were just black screens with one or two little things on the screen anyway so this one this one actually interests me that <laughs> see how is this different from other atari games that didn't really have any other graphics except for a couple little lights but uh... All I'm right. Interested
0: in seeing it in action too. I mean, Atari. I have one of those plug-and-play Atari systems that I got for Christmas one year. And it's not really a, like I, I said in the last episode of the side quest that NES and before that's really not an era that I look into for games. But you know, I mean, this it, I, I like to see just sort of how things evolved at least through like gameplay videos on YouTube. So I, I mean, I check it out and see how this game like fully plays because I mean, it sounds like it could be an interesting time for it. An Atari game.
1: Yeah. Something to do for half an hour on a uh, Halloween. Play around with that. All right, Evan. Go ahead and uh give us a chat about one of the games that you picked for tonight. I'm
3: gonna start us off easy with Until Dawn. You guys heard of that one? Mm-hmm. No. I have it's heard the, of it. It's the uh, PS4 game that came out a couple years ago. It's, it's. I guess you could say it's a cross between those like Quantic Dream games, like Heavy Rain and Detroit, and uh, those like the Walking Dead Telltale games, oh, where
2: okay.
3: it's like story driven. So I don't want to go too big into the story, but I feel like this is like the perfected version of both those, you know, style of games where your choices actually matter like um you play as eight different i want to say they're college students eight college students who are all meeting at a log cabin in the snowy wilderness as like sort of a celebration of one of their own who passed away a year ago it's a big party and they all start experiencing like spooky happenings and the game has a, a very strong emphasis on character relationships in that if you if you don't build relationships not not even just dialogue you do the right dialogue if you don't have the right relationship with other characters uh, you could potentially cost them their life Um, all eight characters can die um, at about the halfway point is when a lot of when when you can start dying most of the first half is just set up and usually if stuff you did in the first like hour matters to their survival in the last three, three and a half hours of the game. It's only seven hours, eight hours. You can play it in like two sittings. Um, Like for example, I actually watched a LP of a Let's Play before I actually bought the game. So I knew everything that happened. I knew all the characters. Um, I I had the whole story already known to me. And (laughs) in this Let's Play, they had managed to keep all the characters alive and that was obviously my goal too, to keep all the characters alive. Um, there's a part where um, there's, a, there's like a boyfriend and girlfriend and they're fighting and they decide to be very hostile towards her. And that resulted in her ending up somewhere else and the boyfriend ending up in a different area. And I thought I should be nicer because it also affects the outcome of their, their epilogue. There's you know whether or not they have kind things to say about each other. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll, there's a part where you can choose to leave her or not. I'll I'll jump in and save her. And stupid me, I actually lo- um, cost both of their lives by trying to save her because there was a flare gun uh, that you could find at an earlier point in the game. And if w- one of them doesn't have the flare gun, um, they'll one of them will end up in an optional area without the flare gun. And they are destined for death if they don't have a weapon on them. <laughs> So I I tried to be nice and bit me in the ass. Um, I actually ended <laughs> I actually ended up saving I think two characters. Uh, by the end of it, only two characters I cared about, so it was fine. But um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> cared about the other six.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean like some of them are pretty obvious. Like, I think there's like one part where um, it's be nice to this girl and she won't let you die, and it's just like. Do you choose to save this character or that character and you're obviously gonna choose the girl your character is a crush on so it, it was like one of those weird things where it was like where it was like well that's kind of obvious it's kind of a telltale thing like come on guys um there was one kind of not great thing about the game and that was they had a like a stay calm or don't move or don't panic or something something like that mechanic with the controller the playstation 4 controller can tell if it's moving and if your hand's moving too much while you're holding the controller um like there's a chance that something bad might happen to the character to the character you're playing as at the very end there's multiple scenes where you have to be holding on to the controller and staying absolutely perfectly still and i actually (laughs) heard putting the putting it on the table like on your table does not work it can tell that you're not holding it and it'll just automatically fail you and you can lose at least two characters by by that method. Wow. Like, well, Brutal. Yeah, there, Yeah, there's you can find like compilations of every character's death and they don't I think they can all die multiple different ways. It's not like, oh, this character will die at this point unless you do this thing. This character will die at this point unless you do that thing. So it's uh it's pretty simple like the uh it's mostly choose this option, choose that option, uh do you want to run? Do you want to hide? Um, I was kind of surprised by how important finding uh, finding like collectibles on the ground were. Um, one of my favorite instances is if you're digging around and like looking and reading all of the um, all the collectibles. There's one that gives you a hint of a later scene where like one character is threatening to kill another one and. The idea is, oh my God, is this person this or that? And if you had found the collectible, you know that what they think is happening with this character isn't really happening, and you can save that character's life just by having that knowledge in your head when you're playing the game. And uh, what I thought was kind of interesting about it was there they brought in like Hollywood actors to play them. They had uh, what's would say Brett Dalton from Agents of Shields as like the, the Chad of the group. <laughs> uh, they had a, uh, yeah, he's like, you know, Mr. Jock. I think there's, um, speaking of relationships being important, there's like this little, like, cringy scene where, like, if he's with his girlfriend, and if your relationship builds up enough, you can get her to slowly take off her clothes. And she pretty much runs around the rest of the game with just underwear on. Um, but they also had Hayden Pentier in it and uh, Rami Malik. For Mr. Robot. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was actually pretty good. They the game put a really heavy emphasis on facial mechanics. Like, it, like it looks like their faces are in the game. Like, you can see every little movement of their face. And um, it was it was I had actually just finished playing the last game that the same studio had made, uh, Man of Medan. And what was kind of unique from that game from this one was that um, Until Dawn was published by uh, Sony. So they had access to a engine that made it look like as next gen as possible, and this one is multiplat. Um, Man and Madan was multiplat, and so it was on Xbox, you know, uh, Windows, all that, um, and it was being published by Bandai Namco, Nam Namco Bandai, whatever, and uh, they had they were using Unreal en- uh, Unreal Engine 4 instead and i was watching clips of until dawn earlier today just to familiarize myself with some of it and it was or you know and it was night and day better looking than the game that came out last year um lighting was better animations were better uh things were more smooth um there was actually a couple hiccups in Manamadan. of Medan, i think i mentioned on the den with um events that happen like characters don't reference events very well one of the things i thought was cool about until dawn was that. Um, characters can completely avoid peril, and so they're not as informed as they could be about certain details. So their dialogue will change to reflect they're not understanding the situation. Like, oh, what? What's happening? What's going on? Like, characters completely avoid danger the whole time based off of what you've had them doing. It's like, what, what's going on right now? Um, it's seven hours long. It's pretty low involvement, and it's uh, it's not multiplayer like Man of Madana's, but it's pretty fun to watch other people play it. So it's actually, I'd say it's a very good game to play for Halloween. You can play it in, like, two sittings. Um, it's good to play in the dark, and it's only, like, 20 bucks. You can go to any Target,
0: Best Buy, or Walmart, and you probably find it there for $20. Hmm. Yeah,
3: this
0: is one of those games that I wanted to play at some point, but I just haven't picked it up yet. But I think, like you were saying, I think Sony put it on the PlayStation Hits line of games not that long ago. So, yeah, that's, yeah I think it's, like, 20 bucks or 15 or something. yeah.
3: It's definitely really good. Uh I would I would definitely recommend it. Um if you're looking for more of a like a fun party game, I would actually say Manima Dan's pretty good for that because you can like pass the controller to each other and you can each split you know who plays which character in that game. You can't do that with uh, until dawn. You it's it's like eight characters and you pass it back and forth. Um yeah, I would I would definitely say it's it's pretty easy for non-gamers to play. So you know invite your wives or girlfriends who aren't into games and they'd probably have a fun time with it too
1: oh my wife's all into true crime and horror kind of things not so much horror but the hell the stuff she's watching on true crime is more horrible than you would see in most horror stuff i was i was watching a couple clips just to remind myself of some of the other mechanics in
3: the game like the, i completely forgot about like the totem mechanic which is they're these like little totem poles that lie on the ground and you pick them up It'll give you like a very short, vague, out of context possibility um, of what could happen. Some can tell you how to avoid a character's death, you know, how to better alter, you know, a relationship in some way. You know, this could result in that. Usually they're very out of context. So they're almost they're not very helpful if you're not paying super close attention. And oh yeah, that's right. Um Peter Stormare is in the game too, as sort of like the in-between guy. There's like a couple chapters at the end of every chapter. Um, He's from, like, he was in, like, prison break and stuff like that. Um, He'll, like, be, like, a psychiatrist, and he'll ask you questions. And, like, oh, what did you think of this thing? What do you think of that thing? What scares you? I'm going to show you some ink blots right now. What do you think this is? Are you more afraid of this or that? And I I think they have an effect on how it plays out in the game. I I vaguely remember him going, like, oh, what scares you more? Spiders or this other thing? And if you say, like, say, I think I picked spiders and... Uh, spiders were uh, popped up at some point. I don't know if that was because that or what, but uh, it's it's like a cute little in-between. So it's actually pretty good for, okay, uh, I'm done playing for it today. We'll pick it up tomorrow because, you know, it's the end of the chapter.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of a, it was a... Well, it started as a game and then it became a, a movie you could buy on DVD. That was something like that where you would have to answer questions and it would affect how the story played out for these three characters in... A, in not a haunted house, but basically the three of the characters had mental issues let me see what was that called uh, there was a silent hill game like that like shattered memories right uh yeah i think so let's see uh, critical path what was that game i feel like i'm getting close i'm gonna pass it oh here we go it was called tender loving care that's what it was called it was um who oh, who was the psychiatrist because it was sort of the same thing where a psychiatrist would talk to you it was john hurt that's who the actor was was it like would a come DVD out. game? Yeah, it, they made it into a DVD. Let me see. I'm trying to find more of the information right here since I thought about it. Let's see. Oh, movie. There we go. Yeah, they made it into a 19. 19- was- made into a film in 1998 and let's see it stars it stars john hurt as dr turner who's the psychiatrist that talks to you uh you have the three characters who are allison overton uh, michael overton and then this other woman who's staying at the house it doesn't mention her name here but it was originally a video game that you would like play on i think with dvd if i remember right or on a what was it on here shoot doesn't say what system but anyway it was a game that originally from 1996 probably on computer since you had to pick answers and stuff but then they eventually made it into a dvd movie that you could just watch it if you wanted to and just enjoy it like a film so you talk about that just happened to make me think about that game i've watched the playthrough of it it was pretty interesting i missed that era of dvd video games Yeah, the time watching, they the... <laughs> watching the
2: changed watching the YouTube that I think Matt put up of the the different ways you could die is definitely pretty brutal. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, the uh I, I, the, the I deaths the are guy pretty guy gruesome, that. yeah. That's enough the night. <laughs> the one that happened to me was uh I had a character like try to I mentioned try to protect his girlfriend or whatever, and he ends up in a deeper area than he would have if he tried to save himself and he gets grabbed and dragged and uh, he if he has the uh, the the gun the flare gun he can pull it out he didn't in my playthrough so he got like lifted up and like had his he it was like a it was like a hook like a meat hook and basically the meat hook goes through like his lower jaw and he's like kind of it dangling
2: there yeah they I I just saw that one like a few seconds ago I was like whoa <laughs> Put yeah luckily. Right
3: at, right- Luckily, that, those videos of, like, oh, all these characters dying doesn't really spoil much of anything. I mean, it does kind of show you what the threat is, but mm-hmm. um, the threat doesn't become known until, like, halfway through the game. And uh, it's, you know, every character can die and in multiple different ways. So, so just seeing, like, a 30-second clip of them dying doesn't really spoil, oh, oh, just do this thing and you'll avoid this moment. So,
1: mm-hmm. All right. Zachary, you want to uh, talk about one of yours? So, yeah, yeah I'll talk you.
0: about one of mine. <laughs> yep, Yep. sorry. I was trying to find a video clip for that tender loving care game to oh, show you guys it. what it's about. But we'll skip that and we'll move on. <laughs> so, and since you just were talking about this too with playing uh, that Until Dawn game around Halloween time, uh, Evan, I'll talk about one of the games that I usually play around Halloween time. And that is Luigi's Mansion for the Nintendo GameCube. So that was one of the launch titles for... Uh, Nintendo's purple lunchbox system back in the day. And Luigi's Mansion was, it, and even to this day, it has a really different play style than what you normally find not only in a Mario game, but in just a video game in general. So for a bit of backstory on the game, Luigi and, or no, sorry, just Luigi ends up receiving a letter in the mail telling him that he has won this mansion out in the middle of nowhere. Well, he takes the letter to Mario. Mario, of course, is suspicious, goes to check it out, but he never comes back. So Luigi ends up going out to the mansion to try and find not only what happened to Mario, but what exactly is going on with this place. He ends up meeting an old inventor named E. Gadd, who tells Luigi that the house just sprang up out of nowhere one night, and it's because of all the ghosts that live within the mansion. They originally were portraits of his that uh, E.Gad had captured over the years, but they eventually were able to break out because of King Boo and all of his Boo followers. They freed him, they built the mansion in one night, and they ended up capturing Mario when he came to uh, check out the mansion so luigi then is armed with a special specialized vacuum called the poltergust 3000 because you know at that point i think in, the, in like the late 90s early 2000s everything was like the poltergust 3000 the SuperVac 300 the Dysomatic 2958 you know just crazy numbers at the end of everything i think that was just the trend at the time <laughs> but um Anyway, Luigi is armed with the Poltergust 3000 and his duty then is to go through the mansion and completely clear it out of all of the boss ghosts, uh, try and find treasure that he can then use. Or here, I'll, you know, I'll save that for the end. Uh, he has to go through the mansion. He's armed with the Poltergust. He has a, a flashlight attached to it so he can stun the ghosts and suck them up. And he also is equipped with what is probably the best power up in the game, the Mario button because every time you push the A button when he's not standing in front of something, Luigi will always yell out "Mario! Mario! <laughs> Mario!" and it changes depending on how much health he has. You get Luigi down to like only like a quarter of his health left and he just gives out this terrified panic "Mario!" <laughs> but um The gameplay is pretty easy to follow in Luigi's Mansion. So the game is split up into four areas that you explore in the mansion. Uh, Like the first area is mainly the second floor in the beginning, like from the foyer. Uh, the, The second area of the game will then be on the first floor after you can open up the front doors or the pair of doors that is in the foyer that you originally couldn't access. And so on and so forth. And with each area that you go to, there's a different number of boss ghosts that you have to take down. And what's one of the coolest things about this game is that every single boss ghost has a different means that you have to fight them in. So with the first three, for instance, the first one, all you have to do is you turn around... And you don't look at him. The ghost will show up. He'll rock in his chair for a bit. He's reading his book. It's the father of this family of three named Neville. He's sitting there reading. And then he'll take a big yawn from reading his book. Well, when he yawns, you see his heart pops up. And that's your chance to turn around with the flashlight, stun him real quick and then try and suck them up. Uh, You get a ghost as HP down to zero uh, with using the Poltergust, and you capture that ghost. And usually, with most rooms in the mansion, if you capture all the ghosts, whether it's uh, just the regular enemy mooks, or if you capture the boss ghost itself, the lights will turn back on. And usually a treasure chest will pop up, whether it's a little blue one that has a... A uh, key that you can use to open up one of the other doors in the mansion. You have big green chests that if you open them up you get a ton of money. Sometimes you get the special gems from them or from these green chests. And other times you'll end up getting these special color chests because one of the other power-ups that Luigi gets as you're playing are these special emblems that allow him to absorb or sorry to suck in these elemental ghosts that he can then use to shoot out fire. He can use to shoot out water or he can use to shoot out ice because there'll be different ghosts that have different weaknesses to these elements. And they're, they're always um, very clearly distinguished, like what ghosts can do what or um, uh, what ghosts are weak to what. So you might have a ghost that their heart is surrounded by a bunch of fire. So you need to get uh, the water medallion at one point in the game. You then can go back and you can properly fight those ghosts once you have sucked up some water and you can shoot them, it douses their heart, you can then defeat them like a normal ghost. Um, let me see. So with the game, it's, it is a pretty short game. Like Even for a launch title for the GameCube, it was pretty short. Uh, you have 23 different boss ghosts that you can capture and defeat, uh, with King Boo being the final 23rd ghost. There's a few optional ones you don't have to deal with if you don't want to, but it's a good idea to go for them. And really, it's it's fun to figure out the puzzles to these bosses, because there's some that can actually be kind of challenging to figure out. I actually just was watching a playthrough of somebody who was playing the game for the very first time. And it was interesting watching that, because I remember thinking back to when I originally played the game, like way back for the first time in, I think, 2004, if I remember right. And... I remember having a heck of a time figuring out some of those bosses, and it was interesting seeing somebody else figuring them out and trying to piece together, like, well, I have... So later on in the game, there's a ghost that's trapped in a bunch of ice. He's in... The freezer room in the basement, uh, it's, you know, cover- you know, the floor is totally frozen over. This ghost is, for some reason, just frozen in a big chunk of ice in the corner of the room with no real explanation why, other than that he likes the cold. So <laughs> Luigi then has to uh, use fire that is provided in one of the rooms uh, prior to that. He can go in, he lights up the uh, little what were they like little fire pits like right in front of where that ghost was ghost wakes up it's like hey what are you doing lighting those fires don't you know you're gonna burn this mansion down if you do that you don't want that to happen now would you luigi so you then have to then try and deal with the ghost trying to freeze you while you try and figure out then how to fully melt the rest of the ice so there's a lot of cool puzzles to figure out with the bosses and the nice thing is too with the game you never feel like you're totally gonna be stuck because Uh, One of the things I forgot to mention for a power up Luigi gets uh, pretty early on is what's called the Game Boy Horror, which looks like one of the Game Boy colors uh, from like the late 90s or so, where they were one of the special see through ones. You could like see all the components inside of the case for the system itself. And it's a modified Game Boy that lets you uh, access a camera. You can check your inventory. You can check your map to see like what keys can open what doors. And you can use the camera to then check out Ghost's weaknesses, or in the boss Ghost's case, you can check to see what they might have as a hint for how to defeat them. So, like, with one of the ghosts who plays billiards in the game room, who has a great name called Slim Bankshot, that's his actual name, (laughs) he he will make a comment like, oh, this green fella looks like he might be a sharpshooter, but there's no way that he could... You know, shoot a ball as well as I could. Well, that's your hint then to grab one of the balls from the billiard table when he ends up shooting them and they go flying off into the room. You want to grab one, shoot one into him, and if you do that three times, then he'll enter that state where it's like, oh, I'm, you know, he's dizzy and confused. So that's when Luigi can try and suck him up and. Defeat them. So, oh, so uh, one of the other big components with this game, and what really helps make uh, replayability for it so much fun, or the replay value so much fun, excuse me, is that you can actually acquire a lot of different money as you play. So like I mentioned before, there's different green chests that you might find from defeating boss ghosts or regular ghosts that will give you a bunch of money. And usually when you beat an area, you'll get a big tally for all of the money you've collected at that point. So you have like gold coins, dollar bills, gold bars, different colored diamonds, different colored like gemstones, like rubies, sapphire, emeralds and stuff like that. And the money actually, even though it doesn't seem like it is a really big deal because you can't spend it on anything Depending on how much money you get in the game, it actually affects the ending that you end up getting. It's nothing where it's like, you know, if you get a really bad amount of money, it's like, oh, you, you know, you failed to save Mario or you failed to save the booze. It's nothing like that. It's just more so sort of a reward for you as the player for what you get for like your final picture. Because if you can get, I think it's over like 100 million, 300,000 gold or something like that. You end up getting, like, the a rank mansion, which is, like, this really swanky-looking place, and it's called Welcome to Luigi's Brand-New Mansion or something like that. So the money, it, it can be fun to replay the game and see, like, what sort of ranks you can get from how much money you get. And the more you play it, the more you figure out, like, oh, well, I can use the water element to water all of these different plants throughout the mansion. And if I water the plants, then they'll give me special, they'll give me money. They'll give me jewels that I didn't find before and stuff like that. And there's a bunch of hidden ghosts too, like, that are called speedy spirits that you can try and capture, which just give you a ton of money if you can catch them, but they disappear so quickly. If you don't, if you can't, if you don't have, Uh, quick enough reflexes to catch him and other than that that's pretty much the gameplay loop you capture the ghost you capture the boss ghosts you make your way through the mansion trying to find mario you find some clues as to like where mario ended up going into the mansion and what sort of happened to him and with how long the game is it's you know it's fairly short but it's got a ton of replay value to it because you unlock a new way to play through the game with a, a hidden mansion which depending on what version you play, it'll either just make the game a little harder or it'll actually flip the entire mansion around and will change some other elements too. It's like the 3DS version. They really revamped how the hidden mansion work and it's so much fun replaying that that version of the game if you're used to Luigi's Mansion because it just totally changes everything. Makes things a little, a lot more difficult if you know what to go in and expect. And I've played both versions pretty equally. And like I say, it's one of the games that I always replay at Halloween time. It's 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 a very good game. Like, I know back in the day, I think it wasn't well liked as much because it was one of the launch titles and wasn't a, a true Mario game. But looking at it now and, like, seeing how it's you now gotten two sequels at this point and how the opinion has changed over the years it's definitely finally gotten you know the recognition that it originally deserved because it's a really fun game and it adds a lot of personality like to luigi's character it was really when luigi started coming out into his own as a character too where we saw more of that cowardly personality of his and it shows that you know the bond too between like mario and luigi and how even though you know Luigi's obviously scared to death of what's going on, that he still is going after his brother to try and save him, and is just braving it, just like Mario would brave, you know, the unknown to try and save Peach. So, you know, from a gameplay point of view, it's really easy to figure out and play and get into and enjoy it. But then if you look at it kind of as, like, what it tries to do narratively with a Mario game, it's, you know, it's a nice way to show that there is a genuine bond and closeness between the two Mario brothers. And it's one that I love replaying every Halloween, whether it's on the GameCube or it's on the 3DS. Nice.
1: That is, uh, after I talk about mine here in a second, that that is one I've asked my son if he wants me to get him. Uh, one of the earlier Luigi Mansons, but uh, he doesn't really pay attention to it because the game I was going to talk about is one that uh, Zachary actually just finished up this week, so uh, he'll, he'll probably end up talking about this more than me <laughs> because uh, earlier this year I really got into doing co-op games with my sons um, starting in christmas we got a uh, zelda's hyrule warriors and uh, right around i want to say a little bit before easter um oh, it was right before spring break because uh my brother-in-law sister-in-law came down to florida and one of the games that they brought with them on the switch was luigi's mansion 3 and uh getting the cousins together one day um this was right before everything got locked down for quarantine i want to say this is like march 10th weekend it was right before saint patrick's day and we had gone away at that time too um my son sat down with his cousin and they played luigi's mansion three for gosh three four hours together as all the adults were in the other room cooking and chatting and just catching up and whatever and he afterwards he's like daddy you can play it two player can can we get this so we did we bought it and uh i think for about a good two weeks we, we played about an hour a day we try to do um one level a day because uh luigi's mansion three um the plot summary such that it is um luigi and princess peach and mario and a group of toads get invited out to this luxurious high-rise hotel um for a vacation and the first night they're there um the place gets transformed into a haunted building and everybody except for luigi who escapes down a laundry chute gets sucked into paintings um turns out the uh hotel owner uh helen gravely uh working together with uh king boo has a Decided to get their revenge on Luigi here, and the gameplay loop is you're trying to get up to the top of the, uh, I think it's like 17 floors, I want to say, trying to get up to the top of the hotel, and you've got all these challenges you got to do on each floor, um, but you're trying to find the elevator buttons. The elevators become broken, and the buttons have been scattered all the way out. And it's interesting because you don't go, like, floor to floor. You might go floor three and down down to basement one and then up to floor five. Towards the end, it gets pretty uh, numerical order. But uh, one of the things that gets introduced in this game is, uh, of course, Egad is back. Um, He's down in the garage, and he gives a new uh, vacuum cleaner to Luigi. And eventually he gives him... A slime version of Luigi, and his name is Gooigi. And Gooigi can do a lot of the things that Luigi can do, but he also can. And this happens all the time. You get he can go down like air vents, and he can go down the grates in the bathrooms, into pipes, and into uh, the plumbing because he's just made out of goo. You know, that's what he can do. <laughs> So when you get to this point in the game, and it happens pretty quickly, you can then play two-player. One person's Luigi, one person's Luigi, and I've only played the game two-player, so it's interesting. Um, Zachary, i have to hear you say what it was like one-player, because there were so many of the challenges and the bosses that we did that my son and I like had to do the things at the same time, and I'm thinking, like, how does a one-player do this? This is... I, I mean, it's been six, seven months, and uh, my memory's not as good as others with games. But uh, <laughs> like, I was like, wow, how would a one-player person do this part of the game? But uh, we both really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think I had beaten a Mario game in 10, 15 years before I beat this game. And technically, <laughs> I didn't. I, I mean, I just really don't play platformers ever um, or pretty much anything up anything other than uh, RPGs. So playing this through with my son, um, we had a lot of fun, and it was fun to do it two-player. We're both on the screen. We're both doing the same thing. Um, so yeah, I, it, it was. A, it's a lot of the same mechanics that Zachary was talking about. And I'm sure he'll then cut in here in a second and tell me all the stuff that I didn't cover. But uh, yeah, you, you got to find, what, four gems? Well, not four gems. There's always six gems hidden on every board. Yep, You don't have to find them, but it's a—it's one of the challenges. Just like, you know, finding the three big coins in a Mario game or something. Um, and then, yeah, as you move your way through the game, you rescue the Toads, you rescue the Princess, and eventually you get Mario back at the end and have a big old battle up on the roof. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I completely enjoyed it, despite this not being anything that I'd played before or uh, played anything in a long time like it.
0: Yeah, that's the craziest thing about the Luigi's Mansion games. There's really nothing much else like them at all. Like, the only thing maybe you could compare it to was that official Ghostbusters game that came out in, like, 2010, I think. But even then, that plays totally different than, like, how Luigi's Mansion games play. It's a really unique style to it. Was there anything else you were going to say, Matt, before I uh, get my... Go ahead.
1: That, that, that That's about the sum total of my memory of it.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say, you described pretty much like how the game works and what sort of the flow of it is. I'll tell you from uh, playing it from the one person perspective. I figured when they introduced when they brought in Guiji, I was like, oh, this this could be kind of tricky. I mean, how is this going to work if with two people? Like I kind of figured before I played the game and I because I have not looked up anything about it. I figured that Guiji was just sort of front and center on the box because it was going to be, you know, an optional two-player thing. And it really wasn't going to matter if you were like the single player. So when they gave you Guiji and you Mm -hmm. also have to use them in single player, I'm like, oh, this could be really hard, actually, just one person. But luckily, it's actually pretty easy with. Um, just a single person playing because all you have to do to switch between Luigi and Gooigi is uh, you, you click the R stick or the right stick. You know, you can like push it down. It clicks. It'll, uh, anyway, if you click that, it'll pop out Gooigi. You can control him by himself and you can then click it again to switch back to Luigi. You click it twice really quick to just, you know, put them, basically put them back together as one character. And what was nice about it, though, is that you can tell Gooigi to or regular Luigi too. To do different commands, like there's times where I had to, I think it's on floor six with the castle area. There is a gate that Luigi can't get through, so you have to send Luigi out of the vacuum. He goes through the gate because he can slip through that stuff, no problem. You then use him to pull open the gate, and since you t- since you told him to do that before, you switch over to uh, Luigi because he controls the exact same as Luigi. So you go behind the gate, you pull, you grab it with the poltergust, you walk backwards, the gate comes open. All you got to do then is, you know, just keep holding back. You click the right stick. Boom, you're playing as Luigi. Uh, Guigi will still be pulling the gate back. You can walk on through. You can go through the door and you're good to go. So I liked how the devs handled that. If you were playing by yourself, that you can still kind of assign Luigi roles like, like you'll know, keep. Using the, the vacuum to suck stuff up or to blow a fan around, Uh, you can send him off into his own little areas that he can affect, and then the Ouija effects. So I'm sure with two players, you have to kind of coordinate some stuff. So I, you know, that's interesting hearing what you're talking about that part, Matt. But mm-hmm. playing on a single person's oh, perspective, we...
1: <laughs> we were yelling at each other quite a bit. Daddy, do this! No, come on! Stop doing that! Stop fooling around! And then uh, that was my older son, the six-year-old, and the. uh, I think my younger one was three at the time. We were just turning four right around the time when we got the game. So he wanted to play every now and then, and that, that was always a bad idea. If the two of them <laughs> were playing together, I mean, it was a disaster. Um, I think at this point now, my seven, my six, seven-year-old, um, he could probably beat that game solo at this point. He's gotten pretty good at all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, the younger one always wanting to play and be Guiji, we're like, oh, my gosh, nope no you can't do this for very long or we'd have to change controllers every now and then like nope now i gotta be Luigi because y- you don't know what you're doing
0: <laughs> let me show you how it's done son <laughs> yep uh but you know with playing luigi's mansion 3 we talked about this a bit before we started recording i had never played luigi's mansion 2 uh, dark moon on the uh, 3ds I think I have it on my shelf, but I just never opened it up and played it. So when 3 came along, I'm like, well, maybe I should wait. But I'm like, no. So I ended up getting 3 as a gift, and playing 3 now, I just started actually on, I think, September 30th. I finished it just yesterday. I gotta tell you, it felt like a really good progression for what Luigi's Mansion 1 did. Like, the how the formula worked, how the level layout worked, uh, how puzzles were changed, uh, both with implementing Luigi and just you know how you had to do the puzzle solving itself and with some of the new elements that they introduced introduced into luigi's mansion 3 for control stuff it was it it felt like a really good progression of the series like next level games are the ones that did luigi's mansion 3 and they've done a few other nintendo games like i think i mentioned this on the den too like they did punch out on the wii which was a reboot or not a reboot but like a brand new entry in that series after god i think like almost almost uh 15 years since the last game, and they did a wonderful job making that game very easy to understand and play. It felt, you know, like how the older Punch Out games played, but it still had some brand new elements. Very expressive with how it went up, or how uh, very expressive with how the characters were, and the levels, and the music, and everything. And Luigi's Mansions 3 and all the other games that they've done it feels like they keep kind of pushing or setting the bar higher and higher for themselves because Luigi's Mansion 3, that game has so much personality to it. I absolutely loved playing that game for I think like the 20, 25 hours that I played it. I absolutely loved it. There was so many great details, so many great little touches here and there. Like I said, it felt like a very natural progression of that gameplay. And I think I just said this on the den too, I think Luigi's Mansion 3 is going to be a game that I come back to around every Halloween time. And I'd love to replay it again sometime soon just for the heck of it, because it was it was really fun to just to play through and explore the different floors, because every floor is a different theme in the last resort hotel that the game takes place in. And even though there's some challenges that are definitely a little harder than others, like I'm sure Matt could tell us all about the rubber ducky raft that he had a heck of a oh time with.
1: God, <laughs> My sons even reminded me the other day that Basement 2 was like the worst thing ever. There's a part <laughs> where you were trying to paddle upstream, and... There's ghost sharks coming and you gotta did Guiji have to be off on the side pulling on a chain to open the gate to go through the thing while well, the shark is out. All I remember is there was so much to do. Yeah. And my son, like, just was spazzing out like he couldn't help with this. Like he he was just like, he couldn't do something, and I couldn't do that. And oh my god, it, that one must have been something we tried like 10 times. And then I think it was finally, by the time we got through it, and I think right through it was where the boss battle was, um, I couldn't figure out the boss mechanic like the first time or the second time that we played. And then I feel like I, I beat it on the second or third time, but I feel like, oh my god, that boss battle took forever, mainly because I think I we were down to like half health, and then I was like, oh, that's what I need to do. So it even the second or third time, whatever it took me to beat it, it just dragged and it was just I mean that was the hardest part for us was just that probably thirty minute sequence of getting to the boss of uh basement two. Yeah. And beating it.
0: Yeah, that raft part. I at first I'm like, well this seems kinda fun. I like the music and stuff, but then as it kept going, I I realized why you sent me a very explicit message about how you felt about that level <laughs> at one point because oh my god, it got really hard. Like the part I, I think the shark part you said that that one threw you off too when the when like the ghost shark popped up and you you have mm-hmm. to really play smart because you gotta like go really far away kind of get them to start going one direction you gotta like quickly whip around them, but the hardest part of that was definitely trying to coordinate with Luigi because at the same time you're trying to make him do stuff on the top level like away from the water like the the uh, current of the water slowly pushes Luigi along and then it starts speeding up and if you hit the end of the gate which is like, at the end of each little section, it's, you know, covered with spikes. So if Luigi hits that, oh, he loses, like, 20 points of health. So <laughs> it, uh-huh. it, it got really tricky. So I, I understood a little later than what you meant by how hard that was. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, you know, even though that was a really, I think that was probably one of the hardest floors of that game. Like, I did like how, with every level of the mansion, or of the hotel that, like, I noticed it was almost always the even number floors that they would be a little bit easier to get through one, not quite as many rooms and a little bit simpler to just make your way through. There might be a few more ghosts you had to fight while the odd number floors tended to be more uh, puzzle heavy, or you had to figure out like the right steps in order to get through that particular section. But you know, like I said before, and like what you were talking about too, it, it really does feel like a very good progression of the series. And I think Next Level Games did a fantastic job with it. I really wish that I had played it last year when it came out, because like playing it this year, even though, you know, it's 2020 now, I would probably still call it one of my favorite games I played this year. <laughs> and if I had played it in 2019, it probably would have been one of my favorite games that year. <laughs> <laughs> but really great game. And if you don't have a Switch, like, just from going off what Matt and I talk about, it's it is well worth picking up. And if you have a bunch of friends you want to play locally with or play online with, there are some multiplayer modes. Did you ever play any of those, Matt, with like the Scream Park or the uh, screen, or like the Scare Tower or whatever it's called?
1: We didn't do. Maybe we did the Scare Tower a couple times. Um. we had it before i don't know if did you buy the dlc for it? no
0: i i haven't bought in the dlc for it. okay
1: that we we had it before the dlc came out it came out like right at the end after we'd beaten it and i was like yeah we don't and reading what the dlc was it was a lot of multiplayer i think editions and i was like no we don't need that um But we did play, uh, we did do a lot of those little multiplayer things, and we'd do it with like three of us playing. Because I think you can do, some of them were, am I remembering this right? Some of them you could do with like four players, maybe two teams of two.
0: Yeah, because like I think what it is is you split up. Even locally, you could do? Yeah. Yeah, because it's like one team is Team Luigi, and the other team is Team Guigi. So you mm-hmm. have to, like, split up, like, the one that I just, like, tried just doing, like, the practice mode for it, because I, you know, just wanted to see, at least see what one of them was. It puts you, like, you have to try and be the team that captures the most ghosts. Like, if you capture one ghost, you get one point. You capture, like, the special ghost, you get, like, three points, and, you know, you just have to have the most points by the end of, like, Correct. I think it was, like, three minutes, I think? I didn't really mess with the most Yeah, they were a so. good amount of time.
1: I mean, we, when we played, it was, you know, we'd sit there, and we, we could do four or five of those and spend a half an hour on it. Mm -hmm.
0: I did get to try out the multiplayer, just not much. I did try out the online multiplayer where like you just pair up with three different people and you try and beat the little tower. Like I think you can choose like five floors, 10 floors, something like that. And that that was Uh fun doing that with the multiplayer because you have like the simple little options at the bottom. Oh, which we forgot to mention that this game does have another Mario button. It's very important that every Luigi's Mansion has one. (laughs) You push the D-pad or the left buttons on the left Joy-Con and Luigi will say like Mario, Mario, Mario. They'll still say it. But if you play online, you can actually like Luigi will either say like, thank you, help or another stuff like that, depending on what uh, face button you push. And I didn't really mess with the multiplayer much, like with the local stuff. But like when I did the online tower, that, that was fun messing around with that. I I would go back and try doing that again some more if I you know if I felt Is that like that. The it. timed one. Yeah, that's the one where like you choose like a like five floors, ten floors, and you have like five minutes to beat a floor. Whether it's a mm-hmm. like you have to like the one that I did. Um, I had joined just I think it was what I joined a game like mid play for these other people. Where we had to collect like 10,000 gold on one floor, which you know, like four people running around, it's pretty easy to get that much money in on these big floors. And then there was one floor where we had to defeat all of the ghosts that pop up, so you have to go through all the rooms, you know get a little check mark in each one of them, and then as soon as you do that, boom, you're up to the next floor so it was mm-hmm. it was fun just to kind of mess around with that and i I would go back and try it again if I felt like it, but i like the single player stuff itself, like just the main story or like I think it's just called story mode for the game, that was really good, and it sounds like you you and your sons had a great time playing it too, even though you yelled at each other a little bit. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> that
1: would become that would become a, kind of a staple for us the next month when we played uh, the uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance three because that one you could do four player co op and so we had my four year old son playing with the older two of us and oh my god <laughs> we didn't realize how much he was handicapping us <laughs> even though we yelled at him all the time. <laughs>
0: I think you told Uh us about some of your trials and tribulations with that game before. I think it was on the Den you were telling us about that. And then you mentioned, like, we got rid of the problem. (laughs) And that's all we heard. (laughs) Yep, yep. The the, uh,
1: five-second summary there is I kept giving the strongest character to my youngest son, thinking, well, maybe he can at least try to keep up with us by using the strongest character. And we must have failed ten times on the final boss. The one time I was like, screw it. I'm just going to give you the weakest character and we'll control the two strongest. We beat it. Like we cleared the final boss in like no time was like, how the hell did we lose <laughs> that, that time? Like, wait, okay. Wait. So the strategy of weakest person, strongest um, hero. Nope. That was a bad strategy. Bad, bad. <laughs> 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 All right. But uh try to get too far away from the uh, the horror games here. Um We'll go back to uh, Sean. Go ahead and uh, talk to us about one of your Resident Evils.
2: Sure. So I'm going to do a pair of Resident Evil games. I'm going to touch upon uh, Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5. Uh, I'm not going too much in depth into both of these games. I mostly wanted to go into my enjoyment of them and some of the related stories that I have based off those two games. So RE4 was released for the GameCube in January of 2005, and then on the PlayStation 2 in October of the same year. I ended up playing it on the, the PlayStation 2, which is nice, because I threw in some extra missions and things like that, characters, I think, too. Uh, Resident Evil 5 was released for multiple platforms simultaneously, or I guess you guys have to say simultaneously, in March of 2009. <laughs> uh, RE4 was the first ever RE game that I really uh, ever got into and enjoyed. I, I never really liked the older Resident Evil games. I, I don't like the puzzles that it, that they had. I didn't like the limited saves and the limited ammo. I never liked that mechanic. Um, I usually don't like games where stealth or running away is the key to victory. I like to go in guns that plays <laughs> for the most part. Pew pew pew! Like that. But <laughs> well you for? If, if your guns are place. blazing
1: like that, you're dead.
2: <laughs> you're I'm, missing, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, RE4 uh, went more of that direction, that guns-a-blazing direction. It was a major shift for the series. It changed its focus from mainly horror to more of an action game with a third-person, over-the-shoulder perspective. Uh, they did this instead of, like, the older games where you're kind of moving your character around the screen with a detached camera. And this one, they, they, they like I said, they went over with the, the third-person view with the, over the shoulder. Uh, there's still puzzles uh, throughout the game, but nothing really complicated compared to the older ones. Ah, uh, you did have you didn't have unlimited ammo, but it was a lot more plentiful than in past games as well. I really enjoyed it. It was a fun mix of story and action. Um, ra 5 was more of the same, except it introduced co-op into the mix, and this was a, a perfect timing for me. Uh, I had a my best friend, one of my best friends, Nate, was a huge fan of the series. He played it all the way from the beginning. He was a huge fan of the series, uh, but he lived in a different state at the time when that game came out. So we were able to complete the entire game doing online co-op because you had two different characters, two different main characters that went throughout the game, and you can do online co-op to do the main story. It was a lot of fun doing that. Uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, when we got to like the end of the night and like one of us had to go, uh, we'd kind of play a prank on each other and we wouldn't tell each other that we had to go, and then we just like whip out a grenade or like a bazooka or something and just blow the other one up and just blind like gotcha. <laughs> because <laughs> um, i don't i can't remember if you could shoot each other but you could blow each other off with like a grenade or something so sometimes we would have have fun with that and, and kind of get each other when they least expected it so that was fun um re5 also had a great versus mode it had various maps where by yourself or with up to four players you could kill as many enemies or you would try and kill as many enemies as you could within a time limit it was surprisingly addictive. The only problem with this mode was that there was this character from the game that explains your situation every time over the radio. He's one of the secondary characters that you run into. And his last sentence that he says is ingrained in my head because of his accent. He says, uh, he says it in the game. He says, if you defeat multiple enemies in a row, you'll get yourself a nice bonus. Emphasizing the bonus, or as he says, the nice bonus. So...
3: If you defeat multiple
2: enemies in a row, you get yourself a nice bonus. That, that's just stuck in my head. I can't get it out of my head because i heard that so many times because I played those missions those versus missions so many times. So I just it's stuck. Stuck in my head forever.
3: That was Resident um, Evil 4, right?
2: Uh, I think it was uh I think it was 5 that they had there.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I thought you said where they don't. Lewis. I think that was the name. Oh, I thought you said <laughs> Lewis
3: first. Oh, Lewis.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, but before I go on to uh, my last related story about Re- Resident Evil, anyone else have uh, some good memories they want to go in on these two games? Yeah, I got
0: one question for you. George.
2: Sure. What are you buying?
0: What are you buying? <laughs> and <laughs> what are you sell
2: them?
3: That became sort of meme at work. Um, me and a co worker like, What are you buying? And um, <laughs> I've, I've never played the game, but I, I know that. And one of my co workers, nope. One of my other coworkers has no clue what we're doing, so he'll just go, what are you buying? He thinks we're talking about, like, um, some other media thing, like, I don't know, Pee-wee's Playhouse or Big Adventure or whatever, or some random thing. Like, no, this is Resident Evil. Come on, stop. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, Resident Evil 4, I haven't played too many of the Resident Evil games, but I did originally play that on the Wii, uh, because that game has been ported to pretty much every system ever made by this point and nice. Resident Evil 4 actually plays really well on that system because you use the Wii remote to aim and shoot it feels very good it doesn't feel like gimmicky motion controls I, other than I when you have that. to use it for like some of the quick time events when you have to like shake the Wii remote but that yeah. usually doesn't happen too much i don't remember like mainly it was for like when you had to like run from the boulders or I think that during that uh, knife fight with Krauser at the end of the game where you have to like try and stop him from stabbing Leon, you gotta like shake the remote. But um, I remember playing it on there first and I've gotten it on both my PS4 and my Switch when it's been on sale for like you know, 10, like 10, 8 bucks or something like that. And it's it, it, it's really nice playing that game and, like, revisiting it, too. It's different when not playing it with the motion controls, element, But it's a really nice game to go back to because it is kind of cheesy. Like, I think that's kind of the fun thing about Resident Evil. It, it can be scary, but it can also be kind of cheesy with how the characters yeah. act or stuff like that. But um, I remember with 4, I really did enjoy how the game sort of eases you into sort of this, the creepier stuff about it. Like, at the beginning, you have just the villagers that are coming after you. Then eventually, you know, you start seeing how Las Plagas is affecting them and they like their heads might just go ripping off and there's like this giant parasite monster that replaces their head that you have to either, you know, kill before it gets too close or if you don't, it'll like chop your head off or it'll eat you, stuff like that. And Those are dangerous. Yeah. Um, I do remember like the one of the parts of the game that did in particular kind of freak me out when I played it because I played it um, early... I think it was early junior high or late junior high when I originally played it. Um, The one part that really freaked me out was when you get to the labs towards the end of the game where the regenerators show up, which are enemies that will always keep respawning their body parts no matter how much you shoot them. Unless you have, I think it's an infrared scope that you have to like pop off different parasites on their bodies to get them to finally, you know, die once and for all. I remember when playing it, I didn't know about them. The one that you first meet, after you pick up like this key item really freaked me out. And I go running out of the room and I'm trying as quick as I could to get to the safe point. Well, I didn't know there was going to be one right around the corner. Cause I didn't hear the breathing sound effect that they do. I went mm-hmm. around that corner. I remember jumping out off of my couch and just being like, Holy crap. <laughs> I think I ended up like just suddenly going back to the home menu on the Wii and just turned the game off. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> it awesome. freaked me out. <laughs>
2: Anybody else on uh, experiences with the game?
0: No, I've
1: never played any of these. I've yeah, really never there's... played. Uh, I've never played Resident Evil games either.
3: Um, I don't know. It's. I, don't, I find the discourse interesting about uh, Resident Evil games because all I do is hear. All I hear is people complain about how they hated what four did to the series, but they love four itself, and they like <laughs> the way the new games are. But they also like how. Uh, they married 4 and 2 to make the remake of 2, and it's like, I don't know, it seems like it's very tough to be a Resident Evil fan.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Final Fantasy, where they kind of change the way that you play the game. So there's a big split that happens with uh, some fans. So you got your old school fans, and your new school fans, and... People that kind of like both and in between, so yeah, it's it, like I said, like before, like completely different. Well, not completely different, but a, a major change in the style gameplay. So that yeah. would definitely bring up a split with, the, with some of the fans. Yeah, but the uh, the la-
0: action. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, you're sorry, you go ahead. No, 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 I was going. I was going to launch into my, my last little story, but yeah, whatever you got, you can go ahead with that.
0: Oh, I I was just going to say like with the change to action. Uh, gameplay you know that was such a big deal when that game came out i think a lot of games then started like emulating that over the person or over the shoulder third person style that resident evil 4 went because i remember i think even like still to this day you have a lot of games that credit resident evil 4 for like influencing their gameplay change
2: it was so yeah it was so popular too because like it started out like i remember when it started out as a gamecube exclusive and then they brought it on the playstation 2 and it got just blew up and that's why why resident evil 5 was so huge where they were able to do that they knew it was going to you know be a huge seller so they just were able to do that simultaneously release of uh all the systems all at the same time <laughs> mm-hmm. put on everything because they knew it was going to sell because how big 4 was how popular that was
3: remember when shinji mikami said it was never going to leave the gamecube
0: <laughs> never ever had yeah, like what 20 consoles later is that still, <laughs> is that still true or not <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think that was kind of a controversy back at the time, because I think it was supposed to be more of an exclusive, more than it was, and it was only, like, it came out um, on the GameCube in January, and then it was October of the same year uh, that it came out on the PlayStation 2, so less than a year, and then it was already out on another system, so I
3: think think Capcom kind of uh, Sorry, I think it was announced that it was going to be on PS2 before it even came out on GameCube.
2: Oh, Okay. I think think Nintendo was
3: very mad about that because it's undercut sales.
2: Oh. Yeah, that 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 would... That was the big Capcom 5 thing. That would definitely... uh, I could see that pissing them off, for sure. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. It was definitely a mess back then, but it seems like they've at least, you know, kind of... made up for it and or not not made up but made nice with each other you know
2: because oh, capcom yeah, sure.
0: does have a lot of good support for uh nintendo's consoles now like on the 3ds and the switch especially they even though a lot of them are ports of some of their other games like they still play and look really nice and it it, it, it like you have like um uh, like in smash brothers you have mega man now you have Ken or you from street fighter um surprisingly there's no monster hunter content other than like you can fight a rothalos as a boss in classic mode sometimes but I mean yeah compared to then and now it seems like they've at least made peace with each other
2: Mm. and actually speaking of uh, Capcom in general that's related to the last thing I'm going to talk about Um, I wanted to bring up some of the visits I went to uh, Japan when I was over in Korea and uh, two of the times that I went over to Japan I got to go to the Capcom bar that they had over there in Tokyo it was a really cool place to go to It's a style. Its style was a mix of different Capcom games, such as Street Fighter, Monster Hunter, Resident Evil, etc. It had TV screens where you could play various Capcom games, and it had a great menu full of Capcom-themed food and alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. Um, A nice touch was that certain items that you ordered were given to you with a a huge flair for the presentation. So, like, for example, you could order an Ace Attorney selection, and the waiter would yell, OBJECTION! Right after they served you the dish, and do like a little (laughs) theme. That's awesome. Like I said, I ended up going here twice on my trips, on my the few trips to Japan that I did, and uh, I ordered a few different items during my trips there. But my Resident Evil themed items that I ordered, uh, the first was a dessert. It was a little cake, but it was shaped like a human brain. So that was interesting. It was a real human brain, with bloody and everything like that. It was a cake. Pretty tasty. And then there was, like, uh, the second time I went there it was around the time that Resident Evil 7 was coming out. So I ordered the Resident Evil 7-style stew, and it had, like, potatoes and various meats. But it was, it was really creepy, though. It had, like, it even had, like, they had this real chicken claw that they threw in there. Uh, <laughs> disturbing. In fact, I'll put, I'm going to throw this picture in the chat right now so you guys can see it, too. There. Oh, oh, press that. There we go. Yeah, so you guys can see the a little oh chicken my. pot yeah so Aww. yeah that was... <laughs> yep so, a little disturbing um it was, yes. but it was pretty cool for you uh, <laughs> they turned out the lights when they presented it to you and they used a flashlight and they were quoting like different lines from the game so that was a lot of fun too uh, i really hope that the,
0: i really hope the waiter came up to you and was like what are you eating <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, Japan in general is full of various themed bars and restaurants. If you ever go to Japan, I highly recommend checking some of them out. You name it, and they probably have a cafe or restaurant themed for what you are into. The wildest one I ever went to, and also related to tonight's theme, was I went to this spooky hospital prison themed restaurant. And it was called Alcatraz ER. And you actually ate in like these little jail cells, jail cells that they built. Uh, they had some weird items that, that you could order, too. Like, they had this shot that you could order. I, I don't even know what it was because I didn't, I didn't actually order it myself, but I saw other people order it. Where the waiter or waitress would come up to you, they would slap you in the face, and then you took the shot.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so weird. Uh, and they had some really weird food items, too. And I'm going to – I don't know if I want to describe it in this uh, – this forum but i'll show you guys the picture so you can see what i'm talking about but they like really went out with the kind of stuff they would come up with there it is so take a look at that and see if you can tell what that is
0: oh yeah oh oh wow. that's, uh,
2: that's nasty what you think what it is. that's grosser <laughs> than the last
0: picture <laughs> i respect it, it though
2: <laughs> they had a lot of goofy stuff
1: like I... that I do put the mature tag on our thing but I don't know if uh I think that's from this the goes adult from only the rated verse. R to rated triple
0: uh, X. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we need to describe that to the the viewers <laughs> or the listeners.
2: Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I was I was shocked at what they had and yeah, that, that was one of the things they had, Yeah, it was, but it was a fun place. It was a fun place. There's all sorts of goofy cafes and restaurants that uh japan has so if you get a chance definitely check them out
0: (laughs) that's cool to hear about that too because i think you mentioned the capcom cafe to us on uh, what was it messenger and it like even before seeing the pictures you sent us it sounded like it was a a cool experience to go in there and i'd love to see like what other sort of themed foods they have from other capcom properties
2: oh yeah they had like devil may cry and street fighter i mean pretty much every Major Capcom property. They had some kind of even Mega Man. You know, even though they kind of abandoned that series, they had Mega Man stuff. So like, they had everything. It was great. Very cool.
1: All right, Evan, back to you for another game, guys. This is a horror-themed podcast.
3: We're supposed to be talking about scary games, so I'm gonna bring the mood way, way, way down and start talking about Corpse Party. This <laughs> this, this lovely game that came out in 1996 for PC 98. And then randomly in 2006, they decided they were gonna make into a major franchise. It's been remade for Windows, uh, PSP, and uh, Nintendo 3DS, which is the preferred way of playing it. Um, I had a very wild experience trying to get the 3DS version because it's like the one game you'll ever find where. uh, I bought it used because it's disgustingly overpriced new, if you were to buy a physical copy. And the, 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 you can start a new game, um, but unlocked collectibles stay unlocked. So, like, if you bought a used copy like I did, you go under, the, like, the unlocked, uh, endings or, you know, alternate, you know, bonus stories or, like, the, the collectibles are name tags. Uh, the name tags, they're all unlocked from the previous owner. You cannot delete them. Uh, I had to, I had no. to buy it did, yeah, I had to buy it digitally. It was kind of wild. But um, if you were to look look it up on Wikipedia, you'd be very confused. Um, there's like 7 million different versions of this game. Um, it's a lot simpler than it looks. Uh, Corpse Party Blood Covered, the remake on 3DS. Book of Shadows, which was a PSP game, which was like this weird... Uh, uh, it, it was canon to one of the bad endings, but there is a very important, like hour-long chunk that's very relevant to the sequel game, which was Blood Drive. Like, if you, I tried playing Blood Drive without having played Book of Shadows at all, and I was incredibly confused. They really expanded the lore of this very simple game. But um, basically, it's about these uh, nine nine individuals, seven students, um, one one of the students' sister, and their teacher. Um, they do a charm like a, called the, the Sachiko Ever After charm. And one of them makes a mistake, which causes a uh, hole to open up and drop them into this space between realities. And it's this old, abandoned, decrepit elementary school where a series of murders had happened in the 70s. Um, and uh, the whole crew is split up there like two or three of them in one area three or four in another you know they're all over the place and they're all in alternate dimensions so like they the school looks looks the same they could be in the same spot physically but they will not be near each other They're, they're in different versions of the school and they have absolutely zero clue how to get out the goal is not to escape For most of the game, the goal is to just find other people. Uh, Because one of the crazy things about the game was very early on, you bump into a spirit who tells you that if you die in this place, um, you do not go on to the afterlife. You don't go to heaven or hell. You stay here forever. And whatever pain you were experiencing at the moment of your death is what you'll experience forever. And obviously these are high school kids, they're freaking out. Um, and you're freaking out because of how absolutely miserable the game makes you. Um a very it's a it's not like a it's mostly like a puzzle game, really. You roam around the school, you have to do things in a certain order, and you'll get to the end of the chapter, there's five chapters. They'll take you about hour, hour and a half each, except for the last one, which is closer to two hours. And if you do things in like the wrong order. You skip something, um, there's like one or two enemy encounters. If you get caught by one of them, uh you get a bad ending. And even though very few characters actually die over the course of the game, they all die in horrifying ways through these bad endings. So if you want to oh like absolutely terrible like it has the standard find these collectibles and you know find out how this character died. Um, but if you try to do that, it results in a bad ending. And one of them relates to a student who uh, was ru- was running around with their friend, and uh, they started to get hungry. There's no food in this in the school, and they start getting hungry and thirsty. And it's heavily implied that they, one of them cannibalized the other. And if you get a. And if you read the last page, um, the ending is the character you're playing as cannibalizes another character. So so it's not pleasant. It's all uh, pixelated. So it knows the way it has to scare you is by having uh, disturbing moments. Um, One of your classmates blows up when they're slammed against a wall. And. You have to what? walk. Pa- you have to walk past their puddle multiple times while playing the game. <laughs> one I'm character serious. doesn't realize. One character doesn't realize that that's her, and he like takes pictures of her, not realizing, uh, just because he has this weird fascination with death. And her spirit haunts him through his cell phone and tells him to stop doing that. It just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely wild. And the thing about it was, I was playing it. I was, uh, I was playing it in the dark. And I was playing with headphones. Uh, one of the unique things about this game, and ha- it has this uh, unique sound situation. I don't know how to describe it. They use like dummy mics or something to project as if it's you're hearing the noises in a 3D space. So mm-hmm. it sounds, so it'll sound like something that's meant to sound like it's very close to you will sound like it's very close. So it's not supposed to sound like it's at a distance. You'll hear, you'll hear all the way at the distance. So it has this very realistic sound, even if the graphics are pi- like pixelated, 8-bit, 16-bit, whatever. And uh, I, my, the thing that's tricky about it is um, if you miss even the smallest detail, you will get locked into a bad ending. And usually it's like the last three minutes since you saved, so you'll just be able to reload back to where you were. But in the case of the final chapter, there was like 15 alternate endings and if you do even a single thing out of order, it'll lock you into a very long alternate ending that could take you about an hour before you realize you've done something wrong and the game ends poorly. And so I was in the situation where i want to get i want to complete the game. I want to get all the endings and all the collectibles. uh the collectibles are name tags, which you find on corpses, basically corpses of other dead students and uh, so I had to keep replaying this game multiple times, and each ending has kind of like a unique death, like it's not just you've been grabbed you the end. It's like I think there's a part where characters split off, and if you don't go after them, there's a ch- and you just go on with the puzzle, you might accidentally activate a trap that cuts their head off, stuff like that. Or there's one where the characters, if one of your characters doesn't go with the other ones, um, the sister character gets killed, but in, in a very brutal way. And uh, I want to. I'm not going to describe it, but. The end of chapter four was probably one of the most uh, horrifying, miserable, uh, terrifying thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And very little of it has graphics. It's just a black screen. And the text describes it to you. And there's like lots of characters screaming. And I was like, I feel like it was the one time where I could honestly say uh, a piece of media was having a negative impact on my mental health. Because I was also like, watching a lot of <laughs> oh, horror movies. I was watching like, a lot of horror movies at the same time, and I, mm-hmm. I I watched Sinist. I think I was watching Sinister at one point, and it's not a scary movie, but like one of the things Ethan Hawke is watching like snuff films, and I was like, oh my god, like I cannot do this, and I think I pretty much. Stop playing or watching anything scary uh, for a couple months. This is also when COVID just happened, by the way. This was uh, I had a couple days off uh, during COVID, Mm -hmm. and I was filling my time playing games and watching movies and whatever. There's nothing else to do. I was like, oh, and so I'm like, oh, let's play this horror game in this time of horrible, you know, circumstance for all. And, you know, long periods of time without human contact, uh, I would go multiple days without talking to other people because, you know, nothing to do. We can't go out and see other people. So I just had the lights off, headphones on, and I'm playing this game about high schoolers facing absolute tragedy and misery. And the way the game mechanics are set up requires you to replay it multiple times to get all the endings. And that just makes you more miserable. And I was... <laughs> It was it was quite interesting. And uh, compare that to I I recently tried playing Blood Drive, which is the the sequel, and it was just like the most ridiculous, like silly thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, The characters that survive, um, they're, they're back at school like nothing's happened, some of them at least. And like one of their teachers flies in on a helicopter and delivers their lunch. I was like, what is this? What is this cognitive dissonance? So I, I couldn't play, I couldn't play that game. It was too, it was too silly. Um, but yeah, it was, it was like a really, uh, it was a rough time, uh, playing Corpse Party. Uh, uh, I don't recommend it to people. Um, I just thought it'd be an interesting game to talk about because it's one of the few times where it has had a negative impact on me, even though I would say it was, uh, game-wise a very good game. Uh, and it it did its job very well, obviously, cause it was very depressing. And I thought it was interesting how they were working with uh, not great graphics and they thought, oh, you know, it's very important that characters examine everything. So let's make things like, I think like the posters on the wall, you have to read those sometimes to get an idea of what to do next. And the posters are like, um, they'll like taunt you. They'll just start making fun of you saying you'll never get out. Uh, you can, you know, oh, aren't you feeling a little hungry right now? Your friends will never find you. Just lay down and die. All these horrible things to you. And it's, it's just really bringing it down. Even though most of the time you're journeying with another character, there's it's, it's always a second voice um, talking to you. Um, but usually they're also in a very sour mood or something very bad happens to them or something like that. It was, it was uh, quite interesting. And um, the last thing I'll say about it is... Uh, the voice of Pikachu is the serial killer in this game. <laughs> the... There's a girl in Pika girl...
0: Pika, Pika die. The...
3: There's a girl in a red dress who will chase you around and she's voiced by um by Pikachu, Ikue Otani. That's funny. It was uh <laughs> very interesting, yeah. Pikachu you stabs you in the face. <laughs> you're actually not far off from something that happens. <laughs>
2: You mentioned that the uh, the posters would kind of taunt you. In the video that I was just looking at this uh, game for, there's this guy wanders into a hallway, and one of the posters is a movie poster for Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. And if that's one of the posters that makes fun of you, that would be hilarious.
3: <laughs> was it? Because I only remember it being text. Um, that might have been... There was like a million anime. There was like a, a million anime, trillions of manga. Uh, this is a very confusing a series to follow when really there's only like 3 games for it um i don't remember there being uh, actually no there were some i do remember there being some uh art in there like you'll see oh there's a co- you're like your first corpse it'll be like a it'll shift to a picture of art so maybe there's like 7 different versions of the first game there's the 96 version there was the one for windows in 2006 there was the one for PSP, iOS, and 3DS, but the 3DS one's a little bit different. And then there was, uh, I think there was, like I said, a couple anime, uh, a trillion manga. Um, there was uh, there was a visual novel called Book of Shadows, which follows one of the bad endings uh, for the most part. But like I mentioned, there's some important stuff related to uh, the, follow-up, the follow-up, and it's there's like an hour and a half that's like basically a sequel, and it leads into Blood Drive, which is the actual sequel. So if you don't like read the hour and a half of story, you're totally lost on Blood Drive. It just starts right where uh, Book of Shadows ended. Like, it picks up and a character's screaming, and I don't know what they're screaming about. Like, oh my god, this person died. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. Who are these people? <laughs> so don't let the uh, anime aesthetic uh, fool you. It's quite, uh, quite disturbing, if not all that graphic.
2: All I was going right. to say
0: with you talking about the tech stuff, how that really freaked you out with like the black screen. Like I remember back in college, I read a few of those stories about um, SCPs, which uh, if you guys don't know what those are, they're basically just kind of like horror stories that people make up about like these mythological creatures that supposedly exist and they're contained by this one company plus or this one organization. Uh, anyway, I remember reading a few of those in college and even though they were just text stories, there were a few that really did kind of freak me out and. Didn't quite have the effect on me that that game had on you, Evan. But there were a few that I remember <laughs> reading them, and they they did freak me out. I remember for a while it was kind of like like if I have and this is true. Like I remember there was a one week for about three days where like I had like if I, when it was time for me to go to bed, it's like mm-hmm, I felt kind of nervous about it, even though I knew those stories weren't real. because yeah. those things can work your way into your head from reading them.
3: You know. Well, um, they the corpse party at least for almost all the dialogue is voiced. And I, I watch like a lot of anime. And so nothing is more like freaky than like a screaming, like miserable Japanese girl. So when you hear some like really sad, upset, horrified Japanese high school kid like crying or screaming or like really miserable, it like just really like really does something to you when it's just, even if it's a black screen characters are like screaming and yelling, stop this, don't do that or they're like freaking out at something they saw something like that and it was it was interesting cuz there's like there's almost no enemy encounters there's like a lot of like there's like a little bit at the very end and the first chapter kind of tricks you into thinking there are because there's like a there's a time sensitive do this thing this spirit's chasing you around in a small room thing you have to figure out the puzzle real quick do this do this do this do this do this um but for the most part they'll be like a ghost sees you and it'll follow you at a slower pace than you can walk so it's not really it's not really following you at a dangerous pace really um there is one that's like sitting right next to an item and you're not supposed to look at it but like if you turn the if you turn the character a little bit it doesn't even really matter um there's there's like one other time where um, a character is being chased by a uh, a living human character who's gone mad. And he he does run at about your pace, maybe a little bit slower. And you have to figure out how to escape him in a correct way. And if you don't do that in time, you immediately lock yourself into a bad ending at the very beginning. And he, like, screams at you, like, in a taunting manner. Oh, you know, I just want to play with you. Come back. Uh, wh- you know, why are you running away from me type stuff? Um and that's like really freaky, especially since you're playing as like the little sister character, um, even though she's supposed to be like only two years younger. They baby her and act like she's a five year old or something. It's really weird. Mm. Like you're, <laughs> she has a different school outfit. And even though she's in like middle school, her school outfit almost looks like the looks like a bit like a, like a like a little like a child's bib. I was like, what are we trying? <laughs> what are you guys trying to do here? She's like maybe 16 or 15, I think. She's supposed to be, like, younger, but, like, still not that young. I don't know. I don't know. It it was a wild game. Uh, Do not recommend. Um, But it it was a fascinating game, I
1: would say. All right. Now that I'm a little creeped out. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I was more creeped out by that description than I was watching, like, the uh, watching five minutes of the all the deaths uh, in Until Dawn. (laughs) I, I promise when we get back to my next game, it will not be. I
3: think it's the least scariest game I've, I'll talk about the whole time, so. Save
1: a, a more positive game right. last. There we go. We'll, we'll swing up at the end here. Zachary, what else
0: you got to talk about? Well, let me see. I have. Um, I think for my other game, I'm going to talk about what's probably been one of my favorite games for the ps4 and what i would probably call one of my favorite games of all time we're going to talk about bloodborne which with a name like that you know it's a happy fun time <laughs> but um bloodborne was a game that originally came out in like 2015 in for the ps4 it was a big deal because it was an exclusive for the system it was made by from software who did uh the dark souls games and it definitely has that vibe for how the game plays and feels So, with Bloodborne, you really only get so much backstory for your character, so you begin the game, you find yourself in this medical clinic, and you're strapped down onto this table, the doctor comes up and is like, well, I see you've traveled far to reach the town of Yarnum. Well, we'll help you out with that blood transfusion, but first things first, you have to sign a contract. So you then make your character, you do, you know, make it look silly, make it look serious, Every you want to do it, and then the blood transfusion begins. Then you have what I can only describe as a weird fever dream of sorts, where a giant blood wolf comes, like, crashing into the room, slowly makes its way towards you, and is about to claw your eyes out when these little white spirits suddenly pop up, somehow scare the wolf away, light it on fire, and it's howling in pain, and you see it disintegrate before you. The little white spirits then start crawling all over you, uh, climb onto your face, and you hear a woman's voice say, Ah, you must be the new hunter. And from there, you're just thrown into the game. You have to then... Make your way through the city of Yarnum and the surrounding countryside and try and figure out what exactly is going on. Because all you know about your character is that they came to Yarnum for a blood transfusion, which, as you play the game, you realize how much of importance that blood plays not only within uh, the city of Yarnum itself, but within the entire backstory of the game. Because with this being a from software game, a lot of the story stuff is not presented to you first and foremost, it's not like the main draw of it. But there is a lot of story elements there through the different items you get. You can read up on the lore of them and you have a lot of different uh, subtle hints through the environments themselves and through what characters tell you. So with Bloodborne, after you have your first death or when you reach the first lantern, which is shortly, which either one happens shortly after you start actually playing, you end up in the Hunter's Dream where you meet an old man named Gehrman who tells you what the Hunter's Dream is all about. Every year or so, at least the way I interpret it, it happens once every year. There is what's called the night of the hunt, where the people will go out into the night and try and hunt down these beasts. And that's really all Garman tells you at the at that time. And all your goal then is to, it tells you just, just go kill a few beasts. Things will make sense as you keep going. You'll understand why you're in this predicament. So essentially you become the hunter of this new night of the hunt that's been chosen by the dream and which is what those little messenger guys who show up early the little white spirits they're called messengers and it's their duty to find somebody who can fulfill the, du- the duty of the hunt so the gameplay of bloodborne then comes down to you have to explore Yarnum, you explore the cathedral ward and all of these other areas that are linked to this central city and you make your way through you defeat enemies you have to deal with uh different enemy types like there's regular humans that have been slowly corrupted by the blood uh the blood church that's uh makes up the basically the religion of the area you have different beasts that show up like ones that look like werewolves ones that look like they were originally human that have slowly transformed over time and there's some areas that you go to that you can see what the full effects of this beast transformation has on people and as you go through it's it is a very difficult game, one that it's one that you really have to take your time with and figure things out like kind of figure out the patterns. But at the same time, you can if you know what you're doing, you can go in really and play really fast and if you enjoy a more faster paced sort of action RPG, it's a good game to sort of ease yourself into the uh Soulsborne type games because even though this game doesn't have dark souls in the title, it's it's pretty close in relation to the Dark Souls games themselves. That's why a lot of people, when they like talk about the Souls-related games that came out from like the early 2000s to, uh, or not the early 2000s, excuse me, the early 2010s to uh, towards the end of the 2010s. That's why people call that like the Souls: Born series because you have like Demon Souls, the three Dark Souls games, and Bloodborne. And like I said, Bloodborne doesn't have some of the elements that Dark Souls has, like where uh, equipment. Can really weigh you down and slow down your like dodge rolls and things like that. But it still has a lot of gameplay elements to it. But going back to what sort of the story tries to do for you, you as you play through, you'll then see a few cutscenes that are fully voiced to kind of give you an idea of what sort of the backstory of the game is. So your first goal is to try and reach uh, from an NPC who tells you that you're supposed to try and reach the Cathedral Ward because that's where a lot of the blood ministration takes place. You end up getting there. You find a lone woman who's in the church. But like I said, how some of the humans that you come across who are going mad from uh, the effects of the hunt slash how the blood transfusion works within Yarnum, this woman ends up transforming before your very eyes like blood splatters across one of the statues of one of the saints for this church. She ends up transforming into this giant wolf monster and you end up defeating her. And you then see a backstory from touching the skull of one of the, I don't know what, I think what the explanation is is that they, one of the founders of the church, for some reason they preserve his skull there as a, like a lesson for people not to follow the old ways of the church. Anyway, you touch the skull after you defeat this boss, uh, Vicar Amelia, and you see a backstory with one of the founders of the church and his mentor in this old college called Bergenworth, where you hear one of what's probably one of the most infamous lines from the game. It's, we are born of the blood, and we are made men by the bud." But it's important, Lawrence... That we learn to fear the blood, fear the old blood, Lawrence, and that plays a very important part within the entire lore of the game, and even just with how the world itself works. Because I unfortunately don't remember every details of it, but basically the hunt began because of how people discovered these old ruins beneath the city of Yarnum. How it eventually led on to uh, them discovering about these ancient gods and like creatures that shouldn't like they should not ever have tried to find out about, which then led to the Night of the Hunt, which led to people taking up uh, different weapons, the Hunter's Workshop becoming a thing, and it just ended up becoming just a snowball effect the longer this went on for, and that's how you end up in this mess, because you just happen to wander into the city the Night of the Hunt, and everything in the area is affected by this, no matter what. But going away from like the story elements, it, hopefully what I described made sense for that, uh, going to the gameplay elements of itself, you have uh, two different weapons you can equip on your right hand and two firearms that you can choose to equip on your left hand. And you can swap between them using the d pad. Uh, combat is pretty easy to understand in, Darks, er, in Bloodborne. Excuse me. Uh, you have just your quick attacks with the R1 button, or you can do a charge attack with the R2 button for your equipped weapon. Uh, you can switch the weapon into uh, a second form with the press of the L1 button, which, like for... starting weapon like the saw cleaver uh the standard form of it's just a small like little weapon you hold in your hand and you have a good swing to it but if you want to make it a longer reaching weapon to hit enemies from farther away and give yourself just a little bit more breathing room if you need to you can push the L1 button, it, it, it elongates the weapon and you have a lot more reach. Uh, with your firearms, uh, depending on what one you have equipped, you can either do like a quick shot, you have like a spread shot. And the big thing with the combat system in this game, particularly with any human sized monsters or uh, human bo- or human related bosses, is to use the parry system. So unlike in like a Dark Souls game where you would use the shield to parry with the right timing, you want to try and use your gun to parry an enemy's attack as they're like coming in for a swing because if you can do that uh, unlike some of the dark souls games if you can parry the attack just right the enemy will re- go into like a quick crumble state you can run up to him push the R1 button and you'll do uh, I forget I think it's called a visceral attack if i remember correctly and doing that will take a lot of ch- uh, take a good chunk of health off of the enemy and usually can beat them if you have a high enough uh, blood tinge stat or if you have enough of a handler stat i forget what stat exactly is tied to it but basically if there's a certain stat you can improve to increase that damage output and with defeating enemies you earn uh, blood echoes which you can then use in the hub which is the hunter stream you can go there to use the blood echoes to upgrade your weapons you can use them to upgrade your firearms uh i Believe you can use them to. What's the thing? Oh, you can use them to put uh, special gems onto a weapon, which will, like, maybe will increase its overall attack damage. It will increase. Um, if it can do fire damage, if you use a fire paper to like add an element to that weapon for a short time. And you can, you, you can speak to the doll. Who's one of the residents of the Hunter's dream who can then give you a stat upgrade. So you have like, you know, you can increase your HP, you can increase your uh, stamina bar, which like dodging and using your attacks is all tied to the stamina bar. And you can increase a few other stats. And there's a few times where you can't equip certain weapons or firearms unless you have your stats at a certain level, but the game is pretty easy to show you like how like, hey, you need like 20 strength to equip this particular weapon on your right hand or you need enough of uh, this and like this wisdom stat in order to use these special summons that you can get as you play through. And the hunter's dream is just a good way to go in there or just a good way to sort of figure out how the game plays, too, because there's a lot of helpful hints left around on the ground there good way to kind of catch your breath and you can thankfully the nice thing about it is that you can really use the hunter's dream to get back to any point of the game that you were at as long as you've litten one of, uh, as long as you have litten one of the lanterns that you come across because then there's unlike like dark souls where it's a little hard or like dark souls one and two it's a little harder to get around to places that you need to get back to if you need to you know go away for a bit from a place you can use the lanterns a lot more uh, sparingly in darks or in bloodborne god i'll keep wanting to call it dark souls uh, <laughs> in bloodborne to get around a lot easier back to where you were and what i, and I particularly enjoy about bloodborne and why I particularly chose it for this uh, for this episode that we're having tonight is that there is a lot of horror elements to the game. It's not necessarily horror like with what Evan was talking about, or like with um, <laughs> Resident Evil, like with what Pendy was talking about. It's more of the gothic horror slash um, what's that called for Cthulhu horror, where it's a oh, Lovecraftian horror. That's what it is. It's more of a mixture of those ideas. Because what I love about uh, Dark, or what Bloodborne is. The environments of the game like it's really reminds me of a Victorian era uh, gothic horror sort of setting that you might have seen or that you can sort of imagine with um, like the stories about Jack the Ripper, like, you know, wandering the streets of London in the middle of the night, the mist is creeping in. There's something, like, coming up behind you. Uh, Bloodborne, of course, is a lot darker because of the elements to it, like with the Cthulhu stuff and just how, like, gruesome enemies are and everything is designed, and there's a lot of mystery to the game as well. But that's sort of what I loved about the game and how that the Cthulhu lovecraftian sort of inspiration horror like slowly crept into the game as you kept going on. I love it when you defeat um, the boss of Bergenworth College, which is Rom the Vacuous Spider, just supposed to be, like, one of the guardians of the... I think it's the guardian of the moon, if I remember correctly, or the the guardian of sort of the illusion that's placed upon the city of Yarnum. When you defeat that, you then realize that this giant white moon that you've been seeing for uh, probably about a good few hours in the game, it's actually a blood red. The sky is this disturbing, like, shades of red and purple. Like, it's a very unnatural color that you would not want to, you know, see. And... You then start seeing these more grotesque monsters pop up uh, throughout the environments. Like you have these giant... They're related to one of the gods, That They're these giant creatures with see-through heads. They have like six or seven arms. They're just grotesquely skinny, just very very creepy spider looking like monsters almost. And they'll be hanging across the different buildings as you're playing. Like even from like the starting area of the game, you see there's a few of them hanging around on buildings, just kind of watching you as you were playing through those areas. And then you have enemies where their features will become a little more grotesque once this blood moon is now officially in the sky uh, with your characters insight that you end up getting as you fight different bosses and come across areas you see that enemies have these rather disturbing features you'd never noticed before. Like some of the lantern wielding uh, hunters, you'll notice that there's a bunch of like insects and eyeballs coming out of the lanterns that they were holding that you never once, that you never saw before earlier when you played through areas of the game, you have pig enemies that they are pretty much just covered in various eyeballs all on their face, just staring you down as you come at them and they'll move and look at you. It's, it gets really kind of creepy, actually. And I remember when playing the game for the first time, like there was, I think, a period for about two months where after that happened, after defeating Rung, the vacuous Spider, I had to put the game down for a while because it, it was starting to kind of get to me a little bit. I did go back to it then after that, and I still I love the game so much that DLC is so great for the game, too. It's one of the few times I would say to get the DLC for it. And there's so many layers to the game of how everything connects to one another and how everything is tied into itself and how the DLC really does a great job sort of further showing some of these characters you found out about when you were originally uh, playing through just like the base game. Like some of the members of the church or like the people who started the hunting or the Hunter's Guild. You find out more about them in like the Hunter's Workshop. It's really cool. And like one of the bosses too that you fight in the DLC is actually related to one of the most important NPCs that you were helping out. And unfortunately it's something that didn't get fully explored in the base game or in the main game and the DLC. But thanks to people like doing a lot of research into the game and finding out some of the missing stuff, uh, you know, from like hacking into the game and finding files and stuff, there was a lot to that character that unfortunately was cut out. It's uh, I'll just say it was the second to last boss you fight of the DLC and if you ever look up the artwork for uh, Bloodborne, the, the old Hunters DLC, the character that is tied to the promotional art for that DLC is tied to one of the characters that you speak to very frequently as you play the game. But I know I've been rambling a bit for the game about this point, but basically, even though Bloodborne was a game that I had so many difficulties with when I first started playing it because it was my first Souls-like game, I absolutely loved it. I love it for this creepy atmosphere it gives you. I love the enemy design, how the world all works together and ties in itself together. And feels like a very natural world, even as it gets creepier the more you play it. The dream worlds that you go to in the nightmare areas are so cool. And even though they're some of the most goddamn creepy places I've been to in a game that I've played, they were so good. I I just couldn't put the game down after a point. Like when I went back to it after those few months, it was so good. I couldn't go back to it. I replayed through it. It gets harder when you replay it as well, which is something I enjoy because I liked going back and fighting these bosses again that I could easily now fight a lot better, but still have a challenge to it. And, like, it's like Until Dawn, you can get it for, like, 20 bucks now for your PS4. It's damn well worth it. I love that game so friggin' much. It's so good. So good.
3: Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that game, but I'm just, like, I tried playing it for, like, hours. I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, I'm not very good. I think I played uh, the first Dark Souls. I wasn't good at it. But I heard that um, uh, uh, Bloodborne was more, you know, less, you know, guardy less you know blocking it was more attack 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 which i felt would be more suited to me uh, i tried playing it was not very good uh, i really respect the aesthetics of it but it's like one of those games where like i i'll never be able to uh
0: be able to play it myself i i can feel you on that because garmin or not garmin excuse me um one of the first bosses you actually have to fight is father gascoigne and i remember when i first played that game Evan, I could not beat him to save my life. Like I think the day I started that, I started it at like, because I had that day off from work, I started it at like 10 o'clock in the morning or so. I don't think I beat him until like 10 o'clock the next night. I was just, I oh tried fighting him again and again so many times. I was having a hell of a time playing it. But when I finally beat him, that's when things finally started clicking with how the game worked. Because I realized from watching some like tutorial videos and what to expect from that boss, he's pretty much there to sort of teach you like the importance of using the parry system and i like i said once i beat him things really started clicking a lot more with the game like how it wanted me to play it and what it sort of expects from the player to play it with the parry system and like when to like properly you know go in for attacks and when to back off you know use your use what you can for your advantage you use the environment and yeah but fucking pardon my french but father Gascoigne (laughs) is the biggest piece of shit i still hate that boss so much to this day, I can beat him now, no problem. But I hate him so much.
3: <laughs> I, I did him. watch. I did watch a little bit of a Let's Play where the, there was a meme for a while where the Let's Players. I think they refer to refer to him as Father Gas Quang,
0: like that. Like they put a lot of accent on his name. Yeah, he's he's definitely the gate to make sure that you know how to yeah. play. And I mean, I'm glad. That, like looking back at it now, I'm glad the devs have him there because I mean, I think without like constantly throwing myself at that brick wall. I wouldn't have realized like how important the parry system was and like when to sort of use the environment to your advantage to try and heal up or to like restock your bullets when you need to. But that boss is such a pain in the ass. If if you've never played Bloodborne and is like your first time hearing about it uh, for any one of our listeners that has never played the game before, just when you get to fighting Father Gascoigne, just, just take your time figuring things out just and make sure you use your gun to Period has a physical text because otherwise you're going to have a really bad time. <laughs> uh, but uh, just one more thought I'll say before I wrap up talking about it. This is a game that I do like to go back to around Halloween time uh, since I originally played it. It's a good sort of game to play in the middle of the night too, especially with some of the areas where actual music will play in the background. This isn't a game that usually has a lot of sound to it other than when you play or excuse me, doesn't have a lot of music to it other than if you're in like the hub area of the hunter's dream or if you're fighting different bosses but there's two areas that of course they're related to this uh church or the blood church that i was talking about there are two areas that music will play at as you're exploring and they are really creepy there's one that's a totally optional area that you don't have to go to it's just it's at the end of the game you can completely skip it if you want to but if you play that and you're playing it in the middle of the night like i did it it kind of gets to you with that music and that creepy like pitch black church and there's wolf eyes just staring at you off in the distance hanging from the chandelier and like waiting around the corner it (laughs) it, it it that game can get very creepy I don't know if I've mentioned enough of that when talking about it, but it, it can be visually a very disturbing game because they really did a good job with the art style and what to sort of get to you through the environment and through the music and everything. It's probably one of the best games that from software has made in my opinion. And I, I have a lot of love for the dark souls games too, but bloodborne that, that that's the game for me. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right, Zachary sounds good with, uh, that one. You, uh, told us quite a bit about bloodborne. Um, I'm going to lead us towards the end here with uh, another game I played just this year. Um, this was one I didn't even put on our list when we were planning this episode until uh, Zachary mentioned about five minutes before we recorded. And I like, hey, didn't you play Graveyard Keeper this year? And I was like, oh, yeah, I did sink like 65 hours into that and did uh, about half the DLC and or quite a bit of the DLC because it was embedded right into the game. Um so graveyard keepers a game that i looked at i want to say two years ago is when i played stardew valley over the summer and that summer probably because i was looking up stardew valley stuff all the time on my phone i started getting like targeted ads for if you like stardew valley why don't you play graveyard keeper coming out this year um and i looked at it and it looked pretty funny it was you know, it i think the tagline is like the most historically inaccurate gave graveyard keeping simulation out there um and the, i think even the promos promoted like hey collect dead bodies sell the meat to the butcher you know make a lot of money or dump the bodies in the river it'll be fine it might just cause a plague that kills everybody downstream but that's just more business for you um so it was interesting but It was only on Steam and I'm like, you know what? I just sunk 70 hours into Stardew Valley. I don't want to play another life sim like that while sitting on a PC. Like, no, I I need, this needs to be on a mobile thing. So uh, I think summer of 2019, I saw that it came to Switch. Um, But as my backlog is always like gigantic, I was like, nah, I don't need to get this immediately. And then the summer it went on sale and the DLC went on sale right as I was on vacation and I was like you know this is the time where I usually have more time at night than almost any other time when we're up in the mountains we get the the kids are exhausted every night and they just wipe out and I'm like wide awake for three hours so I got it and yeah definitely sunk 70 hours into it it is uh, a game where you start off as a guy who's like buying a bottle of wine or something to take home to his girlfriend and you get hit by a car and you wake up and it's all pixelated um it's it's a nice pixel art game would fit in probably a little bit better than a super nintendo graphics um probably like 32-bit 64-bit but definitely pixel art game and you wake up and this uh skull is like talking to you like hey you're our new graveyard keeper here at the graveyard and you get introduced to all the mechanics of the game and basically yeah you're a graveyard keeper and uh you get bodies drawn uh, uh Donkey just starts dropping bodies off at your front door and like, hey, you gotta prepare the body and bury it in the graveyard and earn some money. And that's the early part of the gameplay loop. After that, it turns into pretty much all other life sims, town sims. You know, you get into gardening, you get into farming. Uh, you have to get into cutting down wood, gathering metals and stone. That you then build into a uh, crosses to put on the grave sites to raise the rank of the church, and make more money through that way. Um, and when you get the bodies, you can take parts out of them. You can take the brain. You can take the heart. You can take uh, meat. <laughs> you can take their intestines and other different things, and these become items that you can do. And uh, one of the earlier goals in the game is to get a uh, to get an official stamp so that you can stamp your meat and sell it to the uh, local inn. And he even implies that he's like, I, I, you know, I don't really care where you get your meat from. I just, I just to buy it, I got to have the official stamp. And there's ways that you can go about getting the official stamp, because there's uh, 8, 10, 12 different people that you can story-wise progress through getting their um, like star level, heart level, affection level up, and you kind of need to do all of them. Because at some points you can't advance the story with one guy until you've advanced it with the other Um, so to get this official meat stamp you can either raise enough money or you can get go through the storyline with the thief far enough to uh, get his approval and then he'll just like hey man once upon upon a time I stole this stamp you want it you helped me out here's a stamp for you and then you can start making a little bit more money doing that and as the game progresses I'd bought this uh, zombie DLC that came with it, and there's two different DLCs, and I didn't even realize the zombie part wasn't part of the main game when it released. But after a while, you can start turning your dead bodies into zombies, and they become workers for you. So kind of automates part of the game. Like, I just set up a zombie um, wood chopper and a zombie guy to mine ore, and I also set up zombies to then bring those from, you know, 700 steps away to my front door and just keep putting them in chests. So I always had the raw materials. And a lot of those raw materials, you end up just building stuff for the graveyard and for the church. You need to upgrade the church. You need to upgrade this. Um, At one point, you get sucked into a whole subquest of uh, burning witches at the stake um, with the local bishop. And you're making hamburgers and selling hamburgers. At, and beer at well people are watching the witches burn like woo and then eventually uh the they uh the church puts a stop to it because it's the, the times are changing and it's cruel and the bishop's like all sad he's like man we had some great times burning all these witches it, it's so sad that this is over <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and hilarious. oh yeah i mean the humor here is so it, it's right there i mean it, it it's just all the time the things that they're saying is ridiculously outlandish um the other DLC that i had allows you to do a series of subquests to then open your own restaurant um tavern basically and i thought one of the great things is to do that you had to get permission from the barkeep who's like your main source of money for the first gosh 15 20 hours you're selling a lot of stuff to him um until you can open merchandise merchant quests and then you start selling it merchandise that you can make um start bringing in even more money but at one point I think you're trying to buy a plot of land and he owns the land, the Tavern Keeper. And then uh, you go through this whole long sub quest for the DLC. And he's like, all right, yeah, you made, uh, you know, the 10 gold coins, which is something like $10,000 in the game. And you're here making 20, 30, 40 at a pop. And uh, he's like, so what, what are you going to buy? What are you going to do with all that land you just bought over there? Um, and you're like, "Well, you know, open a tavern. He's like, son of a bitch, what? <laughs> Directly competing with him. Like, yeah, you had to do all this stuff with him to buy the land to open the tavern. And, uh, yeah, so that then becomes a big source of income. That was pretty fun to then just be able to make all your own alcohol from stuff. But it's funny how much of the game just keeps rotating back to, like, things you're pulling out of the dead bodies. And, you know, there's so many mechanics from crafting and alchemy. um and whatever that the, um, but it all keeps coming back to the gravekeeping after a while. Um, there's kind of like Stardew Valley. It's got a very small amount of little Zelda-like battles that you have to do. Um, you have to get down to the tenth floor, tenth, twentieth, something like that. Maybe fifteenth floor of a little. Um, it's not randomly generated, but it is kind of just generic dungeon crawling almost. Um, it's a very small part of the game. don't think you can skip it. I know there's some other things that you can skip just by going through other people's su- subquests um, and getting them. And part of the DLC from opening up the tavern is suddenly there's like these 10 or 12 legendary pieces of equipment that you can find throughout the game. And th- gosh, some of them take forever. I want to say I probably spent like five hours one time to find this hammer. And then you just kind of hang it on your shelf. And each one of those you find, you actually get some interesting backstory um, with characters that are in the game, because I mean, the game's kind of just like generic NPCs. There's not a lot of conversations. As a matter of fact, um, a lot of the NPCs you just walk up to, they won't talk to you at all. Um, or it once the whoever you're going through their quest line has given you what you need to do for the next quest um, or the next thing to raise their affinity, they won't talk to you again. You like you go up and talk to them and it just they don't even say anything. <laughs> they don't repeat the same thing over and over. It just doesn't talk. It's a, definitely a budget on the uh, lines of the game, which I think makes some of the jokes that they have and some of the little one-liners hit that much harder. But I mean, I spent I didn't I didn't finish that DLC. I didn't keep going for all the little flashback episodes of what these people are doing. But you kind of get the um, you kind of get the whole sense from this game that you're stuck in this weird like time looping kind of area. They talk about you being like, hey, you're the like 19th graveyard keeper that we've had. But you know, you came from modern times and just got hit by a car and died or whatever. And you're trying to get back to your girlfriend, and the penultimate moment is. You do all this stuff with the bishop and the thief and they finally there's a spell to open an archway. And um, I I won't give away the total end of the game, but you get reunited in one way, shape or form. And I mean, it's got all the life sim kind of stuff. Like I said, farming, the crafting and the alchemy. There's fishing, um, lots of little stuff. But I, I sunk. 60, 70 hours into it easily in two months on my Switch. I think it's the last really long game that I've completed uh, in the past five or six months. But, I mean, it's got it's got some little gory kind of gross stuff. I mean, you're watching the little witches writhing and burning and coming to a crisp at the stake. But uh, none, of, I don't remember any voice acting or anything, and it's just little pixel art. So it kind of, um, it doesn't have, uh, Evan, what you were talking about with your 3DS game, you don't get that you don't get that auditory experience so much so i mean and the humor in the game is front and center all the time the the donkey that keeps bringing you the bodies i swear it was like modeled after the donkey from shrek because he's just bitching and complaining and joking with you the whole time and whatever so yeah you 100 know, a comedy slash not even horror but <laughs> you know, it, you're, you're taking parts of bodies, you're taking the intestines out and throwing in the chest next to you. So it's a funny game. Um, if you like stuff like uh, Rune Factory or Stardew Valley and just want a lot of humory kind of pixel art, more games like that, Graveyard Keeper, I mean, you can get it on Steam any given week for $10 on sale. I think I even bought the Switch version for maybe 15 on sale and the DLC for 5 I think I spent $20 on it total, so uh, got a lot of good fun out of that. So, uh, Evan, go ahead and take us home with uh, your last game that you want to talk about.
3: Last game is probably one of my favorite games that I played this year. It is A Plague Tale Innocence. It's, um... It's sort of like a Last of Us style game, although the combat's totally different and the characters are completely different. It's um, instead of an adult man with a young girl, you are a young girl with an even younger boy. You play Amicia Rune in 14th century France. Uh, her brother Hugo is being uh, hunted by the Inquisition. And at the very start of the game, uh, you and your brother escape your home just as uh, a plague. The Black Plague uh, starts taking off. Uh, it's a little bit ahistorical though, because uh, the rats are basically a giant sea. like a sea. Like think of when you're a child playing, the floor is made of lava. That's pretty mm-hmm. much what the that's pretty much what the deal with the rats are. You um, there's a lot of stealth thing to avoid the humans, but if you're in a dark area at night, the uh, rats are attracted to darkness. So usually the areas are hanging around, uh, huge swarms of rats will be blocking your path. And if you so much as touch them, it's an instant game over. You get pretty much consumed. Like you watch your character being like like sucked in, like, like quicksand by these rats. And you uh, when, when you do the rat stuff, it's more of a puzzle game where you, uh, you have to create fire. Uh, fire keeps them away from you. And usually you have to, uh, it involves your sling. Your weapon is, you don't get a gun, obviously. You get a sling. And over time, you go from just having rocks to throw at enemies to all these like alchemical powders that allows you to uh, produce light in uh, lanterns or snuff out fire when it comes to dealing with enemies. Uh, you get a couple other similar weapons like that. For those of the two I can remember off the top of my head immediately, and there will be parts where you have to avoid a human enemy, and if you so much as if they so much as get within like two feet of you, it's game over. Um, so you have to maintain stealth for a large chunk of the game, but it's not that complex. Like I'm really bad at stealth, but I was pretty good at the stealth in this particular game, and usually it involves like say if an enemy isn't wearing armor, you can just throw a rock at them and kill them. Um, but if they are wearing armor, um, you might want to consider getting the rats to attack them Well, he's holding a lantern, which keeps the rats away. So instead you might want to consider attacking his lantern, which will cause the rats to swarm him. And usually when they're eating something, uh, they're distracted from you and you can go right past them. So it also, having them attack human enemies can also create paths forward where it might otherwise be blocked. Um... Your, your character's brother, Hugo, is pretty much attached to your hip the whole way through. He's, he's, he literally holds her hand for most of the game. Um, sometimes you can send him to open things that maybe you can't reach. Like maybe if you need him to get into a door or get, uh, get through a window to unlock a door, he can climb up and unlock it for you. Um, I would say one issue I had was anything related to the, uh, the wheel. There's a, there's a game. You can switch between weapons using a wheel, but I think it happens in like real time, so you have to like basically toggle between your weapons, and if there's an instance where you need to use multiple different tools at once, it becomes incredibly difficult. I remember uh, there was only three boss battles, and the second one might have been one of the worst enemy encounters I've ever done in my entire life, and it involved... <laughs> it was it was pretty bad. I almost dropped it because of how tough this boss was. Luckily, it's in stages. like I think there's three stages, and if you die during one of them, you respawn during that stage you died in. so it wasn't that big of a deal. But there'd be things where like this by like the third stage, I think he was on fire. so you so the rats can't attack him. Um, the rats are being blocked by fire anyways. Like there's uh, torches around the rats and you have to snuff out the fire um, without him seeing it, or he'll go over to it. And he has a very good line of sight, so if you step out of um, coverage and he sees you, uh, he'll immediately come after you, and you have to run around the whole stage trying to get back into hiding. Um, So at one point, at one part, to do damage to him, you need to snuff out the fire on the torches, uh, snuff out the fire on him... All while maintaining your stealth, and then direct the rats to attack him. And you have to do that like three times. And you have to do that like bam, bam, bam. He almost quickly, as soon as he sees a fire is out, he'll he'll fix it. If you put the fire out on him, he'll immediately take care of it. So you have to like bang these steps out. And it was a nightmare. I could not I could not believe how hard it was. Um the bosses were uh interesting. The first boss you see in, like, the first hour, and it's pretty much just to introduce you to the dodge mechanic, which is functionally useless. Uh, you, it's pretty much uh, pointless, because if any enemy is within that close of a distance to you, it's already game over. Um, then there was this boss, and there's the final boss. And if I were to describe the final boss to you, like, say you were up, uh, say you were, like, awake watching me play the game for the first hour... And then you fell asleep, and you woke up to me fighting the final boss. You would think I was playing a completely different game. You're like, what is this? <laughs> well, uh, it involves like a tower of rats that he slams onto you that you have to dodge, and then you have to direct your own rats to attack him or something. Or to he can create he can whip up like a literal like like a mini hurricane or tornado of rats, and you have to have your hurricane of rats block his rats. It was it was nuts. But it, uh, I kind of appreciated that about the game. Um, it did have some issues with... Um, it wanted to be, like, uh, a Last of Us-style uh, game, but it didn't have the Last of Us-style polish. Um, the faces almost never emote correctly during cutscenes. They very rarely break a standard... Like reaction you don't see them making like happy reactions or negative reactions very well even though uh, they're speaking very sternly or they're making like goofy jokes um, characters are a little bit stiff in the cutscenes like they, they move a little weird um, but yeah I thought it was I thought it was like a really good game it's it's appropriately appropriately length it's like eight hours or so eight nine hours um you get pretty much everything you want out of the game it introduces uh the 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 mechanics at a pretty good clip first you're just doing basic stealth then you're given your sling um then you're given other tools to use within the sling then you have then you're able to manually control rats at one point um there, there is, like, a sort of um, crafting mechanic where you can improve your sling. You know, you can, you know, you can uh, prep it quicker. You can, you know, you can increase your bag, the size of your bag, so you can fit more, more tools in there. Um, you can create more weapons. Usually all your tools, uh, all of your weapons, besides rocks for the most part, require um, some sort of, uh, uh, like, stuff you find along the road. Like, if you want to create the powder that will douse fires, um, if you, there's like a special weapon that you can craft just in case, uh, an enemy is literally on top of you and you have no other option, but it takes a lot of your resources to make. So it's smarter not make it at all. Um, there's a couple collectibles, nothing, and nothing interesting really. Um, it does have, like I said, a, a little kid who your brother character, who is like this typical like shit kid who annoys you. And it's, basically one long uh, uh, escort mission, but I found that the escorting stuff wasn't too tough because he's pretty much on top of you the whole time. He's, he's literally holding your hand the whole way through. Um, so it's not like he'll get away from you often and, um, you know, oh, there's, a cha- you know, enemy attacks him. I do believe that's possible. But that's usually when you have to send him off to open like a door or something, or you need to do something on your own without him around. So you have him wait in that spot. Um I thought like one of the most impressive aspects of it was even though there wasn't much of a story to speak of, uh the relationship between the characters was really strong. Um Amicia never grew up with her brother. He was he's sick and his mother was always trying to keep him away from people, trying to find solutions for his illness. Um his illness is story related. Um, so she never really built up a relationship with him and now all of a sudden your mom is saying, here, take your brother and run, and now you're responsible with this kid's care, who you don't even know. And slowly they start to build up like a relationship with each other and um, the other orphans you meet along the way. So it's literally about innocence, these these kids' innocence being lost. Um, I would definitely say if you have a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One, give it a go. It was a great game. It's decently length, lots, lots to do in it. Um... I would definitely uh, give that a 10 out of 10. Best game I've played so far this year. Now I think about oh, wow. it. Uh, in spite of... Uh, the not great... Near end boss. But it says a lot that I think I probably spent... Two and a half hours... Just trying to do this boss. Um, and I, even though... I struggled so much with this boss... I still wanted to see the game through to the end. Um, because I, I, I was enjoying the game... So much... I love the characters so much, and I really want to uh, fight the Pope, which is pretty much what the final boss is.
1: Uh, oh, hello, Crondia 2. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um,
3: to be fair, uh, it's sort of like a, uh, you know, Red Skull and Captain America thing where uh, it's mentioned that he's not actually the Pope, but he dresses like the Pope. He wants to be the Pope, and you have a final battle in the Vatican. So he, he
1: is functionally the Pope to me. <laughs> Good enough if it looks like a Pope, smells like a Pope. <laughs> Walks like a Pope. It's probably Walks a, pope. Like
2: a Pope. It's probably the Pope. <laughs> 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 I have a question for you. Did you say at the beginning uh that the the protagonist is running away from the Spanish Inquisition?
3: Uh I think it, it was I think it was. They um at the start of the game, if I remember correctly, you like go home and your brother is being cared for by the mother and then just the Inquisition Storms in and is like, Where is the boy? or whatever. And they're like, Oh, that's- take Hugo and run. They want to kill him. And they like all burn can- down.
2: Was that? I was going to say, All I can think of when you were saying that was uh, Monty Python yeah. and that one famous
0: sketch. <laughs> 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 Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Inquisition. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, that's all I can think of. That's great.
3: Yeah. yeah they te- apparently, there's going to be a sequel coming out next year. Um, I'm assuming COVID kind of slowed that down and it's probably gonna be 2022 at this point but uh i don't really see where a sequel could go it had this weird thing going where the ending was open-ended but also there really was nothing else you could do with what the you know with the story so i'll be curious to see what other plague they can come up with covid a play yeah, exactly. tale 2020 <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> little too on the nose
3: Those uh those rats I will say those rats were the game wasn't very graphically impressive, but those rats were pretty uh, pretty nuts. They, I mean, if you looked really closely, you could see what was up with them. But like from a distance, it's just this huge, like a literal sea of rats that you have to navigate around. And even after playing for like four or five hours, and you've walked through like endless, endless, you know, you know, seas of rats, you, uh, you. (laughs) I know. Um, You still kind of like are afraid that this is the one where you're going to fuck up because there's this weird thing where it always feels like your fire is just about to go out by the time you reach the next uh, spot where there's fire. You're always just about to run out and the the swarm is just going to
1: get you. They they, uh, definitely played their game a lot and uh, timed
2: that well. Yeah. Anyone ever see the movie uh Willard? Oh, uh, a long time ago. It was a horror movie where the uh the guy ends up commanding rats to uh go after <laughs> people wronged him. So that reminded me of that as well.
1: Oh man.
3: You should check out, just watch like the final boss if you don't want to play it. Just watch the final boss. Cause it's like it's it's pretty it's pretty fucking nuts. I really
1: thought it was pretty funny. Of course now, that's exactly what I'm typing in. <laughs> <laughs> the grand inquisitor here? Yeah, that's him. Oh jeez, I just looking at a screenshot and that is that's a lot of rats.
3: Yeah, you what? uh <laughs> ah!
1: Oh, oh, yeah. They don't seem to have any hair.
3: Uh I think there's black rats and later on they introduce white rats uh which are afraid of the dark instead.
0: Well, I mean if they don't have hair, clearly they're naked mole rats. So <laughs> <laughs> we're getting all the members of the rat family. <laughs>
3: I mean, chalk that up to probably the uh, the development. I believe the their previous games before this were like Ratatouille tie-in games or like <laughs> Pixar games. Like I think they did uh, like the Wally game. Um, like Disneyland Adventures, like a, a port of Disneyland Adventures or something like that.
0: <laughs> now, now all I can think of is the devs were like, you know, this Ratatouille game is missing something. I know the plague. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's carry this rat tech over.
1: I was going to say, we've already got <laughs> the rat model, you know. <laughs> it's, it's all Remy. It's
0: somewhere hidden in like the... <laughs> <laughs> they just really want to teach you how to cook. That's all it is. It's... <laughs> Oh, man. I just imagine like in like like one of the big swarms of rats that you're going to avoid, like just hidden somewhere in the middle of all of that. It's like a game of Where's Waldo, except it's Where's Remy? Because there's just a Remy model just in the middle of, all of them. like so much more cartoony looking than the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: All right, guys. So does anybody else have any uh, parting thoughts they want to leave us with before we uh, put this one to bed? All right, then. In that case, uh, that's it for this episode of Slime Time Sidequest. We want to thank Evan and Sean for joining us to talk about these uh, horror games or spooky games or silly spooky gross games either way. There was some <laughs> in these games. There was a ghost. It was either a ghost or blood or multiple of whatever. So <laughs> yeah, we've it's certainly had a
0: frightening night of all things to talk about. I mean we, f- we filled it with ghosts the life of a graveyard keeper lovecraftian horrors zombies plagues of all kinds and for some reason someone who exploded when they were slammed into a wall and turned into a <laughs> puddle of blood so i mean we had a lot to talk about and a lot of different um, genres and takes on the horror uh at, or a lot of different takes on the horror genre so thank you for joining us guys and talk about all sorts of different games
2: not a problem happy halloween everybody
1: yeah Tis the season.
0: Halloween is Saturday. Don't do anything
1: I wouldn't do during your weekend. (laughs) I'm a little perplexed because I don't know if that uh don't know if that limits or unlimits everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave that up to every listener's interpretation. All right, you might have noticed that the only time we ever mention Patreon um on slime time is when we say we don't use Patreon. We're just longtime fans that want to speak about the topics we know and love so much. So, if you have any money that you would like to donate, though, consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wutus.com slash den and click on the support this site. woodis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den fan site for over 20 years now, and I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation. Or, um, if you don't want to donate directly, you can use all his different Amazon affiliate links to make uh, any purchases, especially um, if you want to order... The 3DS games, Dragon Quest XI, XI-S, my goodness, how many copies of that are we going to get by the end of the year? There'll be lots more coming. (laughs) Um, But a small fraction of all those purchases um, on Amazon would go to help support the Den.
0: Uh, If you have any suggestions for a future SideQuest episode, uh, Platy and I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out to Platy via his Twitter, Platy 3 or you can reach out to him on the Dragon's Den or the Dragon's Den official Discord that we have. Uh, you can also reach out to me, Yang is the legendary bandit. I'm pretty active on excuse me. I'm very active on the Dragon's Den Discord that we have. You can message me there, or you can reach me on the Dragon's Den via personal message. Uh, We have quite a list of different topics we want to talk about with the future episodes. And we're always up to revisiting a topic, too, if we get enough interest for it. So if you have any suggestions for a new episode or something you might like us to talk about again, uh, just hit one of us up, and we will add it to the list. Bye, everyone. Side quest (laughs) come... Side quest. Complete. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>